My name is Matt Brown. This team is a bad football team. And if you got something positive to say and you hop in here, I'll fucking kick you right the fuck out. And let's start the show. Rodgers in trouble. Looking. Ball knocked out. Recovered underneath with no time left by Green Bay. And the Giants come from behind and knock off the Packers 27 to 22. New York is now 4-1. and one. Everybody, the world is a better place because you are here to join us. My name is Matt Brown, and I am the host of the Productive Conversations podcast. It is Wednesday, October 12th, 2022. We have quite the productive NFL show ahead for every single one of you. You do not want to miss it. Great times ahead. And let's enjoy it. And before we enjoy this stellar podcast, I just want to remind you to like and subscribe to the Productive Conversations podcast on all podcasts and platforms and YouTube. And don't forget to check out exclusive content regarding this show on ProductiveConversationsPodcast.com. And don't forget to check us out in the world of social media. Want Instagram at Productive Conversations Podcast, Twitter at ProdConvoPod, we're on TikTok at Productive Conversations. So we have another very, very impressive and outright entertaining NFL Productive Conversation for you. Looking ahead to week six, reviewing week five. And we also bring to you an old friend of the show who will now join our NFL crew. So we have Alex Ranelio joining us as per usual. Brian had some work things he had to take care of, so we will see him next week. But coming into the show, we have Desmond Price, a.k.a. the host of Independent Thought. He will be joining the NFL team from here on out. The Philadelphia Eagles fan has some great opinions, very detailed ones, very inspiring and entertaining takes, and you are going to be really happy that he joined our team. So with that, why don't we talk to Mr. Desmond Price, let's talk with Alex, let's talk about the NFL, and let's have some fun as per usual. So with that, Desmond and Alex, it's your guys' turn once again. Let's kick off a stellar NFL productive conversation. Here we go. This is a very productive conversation. What's going on, everybody? Week five had so much going on. Questionable official calls, insane upsets, awesome, awesome comebacks, and true heartbreak. And then we have a coach getting fired. We have questions regarding roughing the passer. Lots taking place this week, and we have the coverage starting for you right now. Alex Ranelio, as always, is here. What's up, Alex? What's going on, man? Happy to be back. Great to see you. And friend of the show, usually does NBA with us, and now he's switching gears to show his NFL knowledge. Desmond Price of Independent Thought is here. What's going on? Happy to be here, man. Thanks for the invite. Let's talk some football. All right. And Brian McKeon has some last minute work stuff. Apparently bridges are literally falling down. So uh, we <laughs> hopefully that is OK over there. But um, let's get to it, gentlemen. So 
Got to do with some bias here. Let's talk about the London game as a Giants fan. The 4-1 Giants win a thriller, absolute thriller. With Daniel Jones missing four of his top five receivers, he's still able to pull off a huge upset with the Giants only giving up two points to Green Bay in the second half, pulling them together. And Brian Dayball and his coaching staff's magical run continues. Giants upset the Packers in London on a Sunday morning. So one thing with Desmond, we have an Eagles fan, NFC's rival here. And as I'm, I'm proclaiming my yeah. enthusiasm. I see you shaking your head. First things first, it's fair to say with this 4-1 team, people think they are the worst 4-1 team. They're winning on flukes. With your body language, Desmond, do you think that was the case after this win in London against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, who do have a pretty stellar defense, even though they have many questions on the offensive side? What do you say about this being a Eagles fan and another NFC East rival. You know, I'm going to start off by saying this, you know, as, as an Eagles fan, watching Washington's football team and they changed their name recently, the giants and the Cowboys, you know, for decades now, Mm -hmm. you know, I've always thought of Washington as being like the annoying little brother. You kind of just got to like swat them away. Occasionally they get the best deal, but they're just kind of like annoying the Cowboys. I hate but the Giants are kind of like a it's a it's a it's a rivalry in the sense where there's like a respect there. Like I respect the Giants. Absolutely. You know, I don't I like feel the, the same Giants, way. but I respect them. I hate you know? the absolute Cowboys with a fiery passion. The Eagles, they're uh, of course there have been heartbreaking losses, especially in some tough playoff losses early on, yeah. know, years and stuff. But you know, there's nothing to uh, really have be enraged about just so yet. Yeah. I mean, the Giants, I it's a, it's a respect thing. I don't like them. I don't root for them. I always I'm always happy when they lose just for the divisional sake of it. I'm just like, whenever another team in your division loses, that's good for your team. You know what I mean? Of course. But like, I don't hate the Giants. With that being said, I've thought for a long time now that Daniel Jones was not the answer at quarterback. And mm-hmm. I still feel that way. But I think it's a testament to this new coaching staff that they're finding ways to put him in a position where the team can win despite the fact that he's not a great quarterback. I still think you're going to have to get a different quarterback eventually. But yes. as of right now, you're finding ways to win that don't include a, an elite passing attack. And I don't know if the Giants are a sneaky playoff team. I've seen the Giants before start off a season, go six and two, and then end two and six. So, I mean, like, mm-hmm. I, you know, like it's the Giants. So, like, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about this again in like November, but. I think they got something real here. I think the game in London was not just a combination of the Giants overperforming, but the Packers, I just don't think they're as great as we're making them out to be this year. I think they're a little they're I wouldn't put them in the top of the NFC. I'd say maybe they're fifth or sixth. And yeah, I think the Giants took advantage of a team that wasn't taking them seriously and they and the Packers paid for it. That is a fair criticism over there with the Packers taking advantage of a team that's still finding issues, though they can definitely play well on defense. Their offense is clearly having problems. And I am an admitted big fan of Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback, but clearly with the outlet, especially after this week, Alan Lazard isn't as exactly Devontae Adams. Um, Though I like Dobbs, but he's not Jordy Nelson yet. And um, Robert Tunyon seems to be a disappointing tight end. 
Um, even though they have been doing okay protecting Aaron Rodgers, it clearly sees that, um, especially now as we approach, I think week six is ultimately the week where we separate the true competitors to who's already going to think about a draft pick. And um, I won't say that yet with the Packers, especially in their division with the sneaky Vikings team that might take it over. But it um, it's, it's definitely apparent now, especially after seeing them against my team, that the Packers really might have some issues moving forward. Well, I think that the, there's a lot of good things, like you guys both said, that the Giants, whether we think they're a playoff team or a real team or not, that there's there's a handful of things that they can really lean on, which we already know, which is the pass rush late in game and the play calling of Dayball in order to yep. get a, a really rock-solid rock and sturdy uh, run game going throughout the game. So if you have the run game going and you're able to stop guys on third down with your with your pass rush, you have a lot of things clicking where you can make Daniel Jones' uh, you know life a lot easier. But I'm just confused what's going on with with the Packers because, like you said, you know if the, Aaron Rodgers doesn't need for, to throw the ball 40 times to win, they should have been running downhill on this team. Yes, the and run the fact- game is the clear is the clear fact- specialty. Uh, yeah, and and they it seems like they got away from the run. They didn't even crack a hundred yards with this with uh, uh, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. So I think that if they continue to keep force feeding the receivers that aren't ready, or at least the scheme is not there for the for the passing game, I think that this team's going to continue to struggle with their identity on offense. Yes, and um, that and the opposite with the Giants, as Desmond made some points too. Um, I think the Brian Dayball coaching staff really shows, especially in the game of football, coaching really does matter. If you have the right coaching staff, making the right play calling, putting in the right players in the right position, football, especially in the NFL, is the one sport that you can really succeed in and get a few more wins. It definitely matters. It matters more in football than in any other sport. Yeah. I mean, you could make arguments that – it doesn't really that matter that much in basketball. Uh, it doesn't matter that much in baseball. I don't think it matters at all in hockey, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, football, football has too many um, uh, dependent parts. That's why. Yeah, I think in football, it, it's crucial. I mean, we see it all the time. How many times like a, a bad coach just craters a team and a good coach can elevate a mediocre team to a higher level? Right, yeah. right. And um, especially with this Giants team now, and there's a few more thoughts in there before we move on. Daniel Jones, still the um, it's still you still have the jury out on him, but clearly his mobility is his greatest strength. And he does have a little his accuracy can actually be highlighted at times as well. And the real test going against a Baltimore team who is very, very solid in their defense. If they can somehow pull this win off at home against them then you could feel more comfortable that they can make a push for a wild card spot for now still up in the air, but you cannot be more happy if you're a giants fan today and how they're looking and a real test against Baltimore this upcoming week. So good stuff there and focusing on the other New York team. Oh, I have a a quick question before we move on. Are we actually picking the week six games at the end of this? So you're picking them when we do the upsets, whimpers, and thrills. You explain that and then pick who you think would win after that, whether you're picking off usually, the spread, usually, line stuff. Like, yeah, we usually pick one game for each of the three categories pretty much. Exactly. Got it. So um, this, which will also bleed into the story of the AFC East now, the other New York team, the New York Jets, 
with a huge win against Miami. <laughs> I mean, putting 40 points against them while Miami's had quite a couple of weeks, it's fair to say. Sauce Gardner, who's looking like the best pick out of the fir- out of the first round for them after five weeks, literally knocks out Teddy Bridgewater out of the game. Skylar Thompson comes in. He truly shits the bed and plays pretty terribly, not making very good decisions, not keeping them, not keeping the game competitive at all. And especially after a stellar preseason was not a good day for the third string quarterback. And I really think the Dolphins are in some real trouble now. The Jets defense really kills it. And now the question for them, can they make a playoff push push after another good game with a returning Zach Wilson. So let me ask with this story, what's the bigger story? The Dolphins now having legitimate issues with their injuries, or is it more of, wow, the Jets are pretty good. Where where do you see this going between those two franchises? Uh, Do you want me to go first? Oh, yeah, Yeah. who's ever there? Um, Honestly, I got to answer neither. Mm. Um. Here's my thing. When I when I let me talk about the Dolphins first. I think that when I look at the game against the Jets, first thing to point out is that going into the fourth quarter, that game was 1917. Yeah. So you had the Jets scoring 21 points in the fourth quarter. Now, for all the issues that the Dolphins were supposed to have on offense, you know, like the issues that we talk about with the Dolphins are just on their offense. We've had them as being a decent defensive unit all year. I mean, they kept that game against Cincinnati pretty competitive. They held the bills to 19 points down in Florida. You know, they did have a bad game against the Ravens, but they also had a good game in the, you know, uh, the first game of the year against the Patriots. So the Dolphins defense has been solid this whole year. So, I mean, I think that when Tua comes back or when Teddy comes back, I think that the offense will stabilize. I think the Dolphins are, have a solid chance of being like the six or seven seed in the AFC this year. Mm-hmm. I think the Jets have kind of gotten a you know some favorable matchups so far and might have been getting a little bit of a lucky results, beating a banged up Pittsburgh team who just got yes. smoked by Buffalo. Um taking Truly. advantage of the Browns forgetting to cover receivers who are running down the field, you know, as you do, and giving up what 14 points in the last minute of a half of that game against the Browns. And yeah, I guess, you know, we're talking about this blowout against the Jets. I don't know. I need to, I mean, I guess the Dolphins rather. I need to see more from the Jets. I can't sell, I can't buy any stock in them just yet until I see them against some higher quality opponents right now. So I think there's just too much uncertainty with really saying what the Jets are going to be. But I do like Brees Hall. That guy is the truth. You give a real running back there. Real dual threat, like a Debo, their version of Debo Samuel for sure. I like Brees Hall. Yeah, I like he's like a super athletic back. He can really extend plays. Um, I totally agree. I mean, I the, the jury's still out on Jets because I'm I'm not really gonna I'm gonna give Miami more of a mulligan on this week because of obviously mm-hmm. the backup you know issue concerns with the with uh, Tua and they're you know it, it, it seems as of yesterday that they're um, you know taking evaluating him every twelve to twenty four hours. So we'll we'll see. I still think he's going to be ruled out against Minnesota next week. That's just my opinion, but. Um, yeah, Miami's for in a world of hurt for uh, at least for the next foreseeable few weeks. I think that um, you know we, we love what they can do on offense, but they can't really they don't really have a defense to rely on to keep these games close when um, their their offense is down or struggling. So 
I think that they're going to have a, um, a few more games to hit the skids. And I think ultimately by the end of the year, they will still be kind of in contention for that seventh seed. But um, no, I mean, there's a lot like, again, you know, similar to the Giants, but at a smaller scale, I think there's a lot of great things to like about this Jets team. I, I think this defense is electrifying. They're, they're, they're all over the field in the secondary, you know, starting with Gardner. Um, and I, I, I really like their front four as well. I think they can get pressure. Um, they, they make uh, quarterbacks uncomfortable, and I like their formula for, you know, you know taking weight off of Zach Wilson's shoulders because yesterday, you know, 14 of 21, it was like nothing special, but they didn't ask him to do more than he needed to do, and um, the, the evidence of that bears out in the, the, you know, the statistics. Um, he, he only, you know, had one interception. No, he had no interceptions. He played a clean game, so... Um, I think if they could reduce down the penalties a little bit, they had 105 yards in penalties. I think that may be an issue, but you know, five of 11 on third down just proves to me that he's improving by week by week and that they're taking a lot of this weight off his shoulders. Yeah. The jets are three and oh, since he started taking receipts. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the jets are at the Packers this week. If the jets win this game, I'm buying jet stock. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, dumping like, green stock. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, because the Packers coming off that loss in London, like they're looking to have a big bounce back game. So if you can blunt that bounce back game and get a win in Lambeau. Yeah, I'm, I'll buy Jets suck. Just but yeah, show me this Sunday. Yeah. And I will um, I will stand corrected on Aaron Rodgers if he can't beat the Jets this week yeah. with uh, my confidence before there. But um, it's going to be an interesting game to see. And um, I really thought the coaching was a weakness for this team, but it seems to have been really improved since we had Quentin Williams screaming at the defensive line coach whose name's escaping me. But, <laughs> hey, it makes a difference. Sometimes it takes a dramatic moment, and yeah. that clearly was it for them. So I don't know if you know this, Desmond, but um, Alex is a Las Vegas Raiders fan, and it's time Ooh. for him to go through a uh, – to, it's time for him to go through some tough love as his camera comes off the minute I said that. But I'm sure yeah. he's there. So Sunday or Monday night, I should say, a classic game between two classic NFL franchises. Oof, a lot to take in. So first, refs play a role in this once again, I think. And um, this is a deeper question about that rough in the passer penalty. Um Raiders started off really hot, really hot. The Chiefs made the comeback and just another crushing loss. And I really thought in the fourth that they were going to make a comeback. But after seeing Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro literally run into each other, um, it was a done deal for their one and three. Uh, the Vegas Raiders are one and three. The Chiefs uh, proved to four one. Alex, I hate to do this to you again, but I have to. How are you feeling again? after another tough loss for your team, especially one that um, was so topsy-turvy. If we weren't, if this was anything beyond week five and it was like, I mean, week six and it was like week 10 or 11, I would feel like shit. But I think I'm like the most overconfident, overinflated one in five, one in four team of all time. I think mm -hmm. it's very easy to just resort to, you know, crying myself to sleep and, you know, um, you know, hanging on every, you know, um, penalty and every missed opportunity from last night. And trust me, I thought about it, but um, I like am so, you know, tremendously encouraged by this team. I thought the game was super exciting, super um, intense. And 
I loved a lot of the game. I thought that they came out with a game plan to attack them. And um, you could tell by the first, you know, four, uh, fourth and one where he threw a bomb 58 yards to Devontae to the, to the house. I thought, like, they really are starting to solidify their connection between the two of them, the way they run routes. And it's going to take a whole season to really get it perfected, but they looked a lot better. And I thought that they came out with purpose. Um, Jacobs ran all over them all night. He had yep. almost 150 yards. Um, I thought the red, the, the, the defense between Crosby and, and Chandler Jones getting home three times last night showed that uh, they made, um, Holmes uncomfortable in the first half. I thought they were tremendous, but again, the, the the part that really just has me falling apart at the seams is 100 yards in penalties just from Vegas. The defensive holding on fourth down that extended that drive in the third quarter was really a backbreaker because when the defense finally showed up for them and broke that offensive momentum, it gave them another set of downs and they uh, gave, you know, they gave Kelsey a fourth touchdown and it just felt like it broke the back of um, the Raiders in that second half when they felt like the tides were turning. Um, I think going for two, obviously like it, it, you know, you could run, you could go with the analytics and say that. And this, yes, that was, I was going to ask you about that, but, but tell you what, and you know, this firsthand map from watching baseball analytics gets you fired in baseball. And I feel like we're kind of going down the same road with the NFL. Um, if you were to kick that, that extra point, you um, Kansas City gets the ball back with maybe a minute, a little bit less. But at the very least, if you go into overtime, you rely on your defense to to hold up against Kansas City, or you get the ball first and you trust that offense with McDaniel's to get down the field. And I just think that they had a better shot to win it in overtime. If you're going to be honest, between the three of us, um, I thought that you know, again, we're one and four. Um, you know, this is an excruciating loss, particularly because it's a divisional game. But um, I'm I'm yet reluctant to say that our season's over. So, all right, I'm going to start with that two point <laughs> that two point decision because this really isn't what I'm about to say. Really, isn't so much just about the Raiders as it is as I'm seeing this trend across the NFL. It is. It's not a binary where like you need to either like never go for it on fourth down or always go for it on fourth down. It's a situational thing. Like the Eagles go for it on fourth down a lot. And I think that most of the time that we're doing it, it's appropriate. I think we have a really good, a really good sense for like when to go for it on fourth down. There's been a couple of times where I kind of shook my head and it worked out for us, but you know, my point is like, I think sometimes certain coaches overthink this. We see this with John Harbaugh a lot in Baltimore, Uh, the coach in LA. Yeah, the coach with the Chargers in L.A. And last night, I'm thinking, it's 30 to 29. Like, why wouldn't you just kick the field goal and trust your defense? Because we play this out, right? Like, you didn't do that. Then the Chiefs got the ball back. They couldn't even get a field goal. At that point, you would have been tied, and you had the ball driving down the field only needing to get that field goal. I mean, I think in the worst-case scenario, you just go into overtime. But instead of that one-point Chiefs win – I, I just think that too often these coaches are out thinking the scenario. They're looking too much at statistics and not like just feeling the game out. You got to trust your team sometimes. But with the Raiders, I mean, I don't have the stat in front of me, but I feel like haven't they lost like all four of their games by one possession? Like it's like by like by one touchdown or less. Like yeah. that is. They're all been very close games, and um, I'm sure Alex can uh, confirm that. And yeah. So, I mean, like that tells me that your team is great. 
but you're just having execution problems on some level that's preventing you from winning these close games. I mean, obviously with the defense, man, like we're seeing this time and time again, you've blown two 17 point leads now between this game with the Cardinals. Like, holy shit, bro. You got to, you got to figure something out on defense with, with the Raiders. I mean, especially you let their number one target get four different touchdowns. How do you like Kelsey get four touchdowns last night? I mean, that's, I mean, like you gotta, you gotta take him away. Like I want, I want Smith Schuster to get four touchdowns or let Hardman get four. You can't let Kelsey get four touchdowns. That's embarrassing. And I think he only did it with 25 receiving yards too. Yeah. Seven receptions for 25 receiving yards, four tees. I'm like, who else is Mahomes throwing it to in the red zone? (laughs) Come on now. It's embarrassing because every time they went down, whether it was the first possession or the fourth possession, you knew that he was number one target in the red zone. And it's unexcusable for that that defense in the red zone to be that bad. It's laughable. It is. But on the positive note, I'm very encouraged by the Raiders offense. I think cars looked better this year. I think that they've been, they're still trying to figure out how to balance Renfro Waller and Adams, but I feel like it's kind of gelling. I was worried about how Jacobs was going to fit into this new scheme, but he was tearing it up last night. I mean, I don't think you're that many kind of like, not, I wouldn't even say pieces. I think you just got to just figure out a, a better game well, plan. I think well, this really comes down to coaching. I put this at yeah. Josh McDaniels. It's situational. It's totally situational. And I thought that he, I think he inadvertently like won his job, but he also somehow kind of lost it last night because he showed me so many great things of what this offense could be and where it's at. And you could also still make the argument that this team could be four and one or five and zero, um, yeah. just by Games all being decided by less than seven points, yeah, but I, that could I ultimately, I think ultimately, what's going to be the the what's going to be the the um the overwhelming you know final factor on this this team is how far it goes is that that secondary has to just be cleaned up. You can't have um it's inexcusable to not have a play call that's adjusted to win these games outright, but also not have a secondary that you can lean on because it, it, it it's excruciating for that defense to be trudged out there night after night and have stellar play on the front four with Crosby and Chandler Jones and have nothing from your back end. And I do like Yaxin and I do like Nate Hobbs, but um, they don't really play a lot of, um, you know, one-on-one coverage on the corners. They're more of kind of zone guys and Perriman's like, he kind of takes care of the, the center of the field. But as you noticed, Perriman was basically neutralized because they didn't go to Kelsey all game. They only went to him in the red zone. Yeah, and I want to make just one point about the Chiefs before we move on from this mm-hmm. game. I think the Chiefs offense actually looks more, I wouldn't say dangerous, but more dynamic without um, without Tyreek Hill. And I think also because the running game seems to, the running backs in between like Pacheco and McKinnon and Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I think that they are just a lot more aggressive than they have in year, in years past. But what I believe I'm making, I'm making a random pick right now. I think that when the bills roll into town this week, I think they're going to smack them. I just think that the chiefs defense, is a liability, and it's just going to, I think it's going to prevent them from being able to compete with the bills. Well, and they got, they, they, they have a, um, they have a chip on their shoulder too, because they're trying to get revenge for last year's playoffs too. The last two years playoffs. Yeah. Last two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this this Chiefs team could easily be three and two, especially against teams that um, they've had some weird some weird wins and kept it close themselves. So if they can really stay competitive against this Bills team, which is getting more healthy, that'll definitely be um, a solid sign. And I was just looking up quickly, Alex, to make you feel better. 
We had a 76 great um, Steelers team um, who started one and four and made it to the AFC title game, but lost to your Raiders. But there's one example. Um had to go uh, we, back to the 70s, though. Yes, <laughs> when they did have a smaller schedule, when they had a shorter schedule. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, 14 games. Well, we yeah. had, I'm looking at the uh, Kyle Wharton led Broncos who started one and four and made a playoff run. Um, Broncos have had some and that was, terrible quarterbacks over the years. And man. that was when a team actually got his playoff win. Um, oh, yeah. So, you know, it's, I'm, it's I'm happened. I'm not ready to write this team off because of the time of year that we're in. We're still figuring out who is who, but I also I'm highly encouraged by what I see from like 80% of this team. I just need they really need to like tighten up the screws with um with the offensive play call and that secondary is just so trash. I like yeah. the Raiders chances getting at least I think they're going to do well in their division. I think they'll I think I actually like them to get over the Chargers when they play in Vegas and I think you're going to win both those games against the Broncos. All right. Yeah, the Broncos are trash. Perfect transition, because that was the very (laughs) next game we have on this agenda. Broncos and Colts on Thursday night. And I'm just going to ask one question. Was that the worst Thursday night football game you've ever seen with no offense whatsoever, not barely any exciting plays, somehow went into overtime, a game of field goal kickers, and ultimately Matt Ryan needed that win for some chivalry. But um, a lot of people are starting to write off Russell Wilson as, I, I mean, I don't know if it's too early to say a bust, but he's looking really bad right now. And they're on prime time again coming up this week. What I mean, who, who came off worse, the team who won or the team who lost in this terrible Thursday night game? The Colts are so lucky that they won that game because we should be talking about them equally in this conversation, but it's impossible to talk about them equally when you think about the Broncos, because it's not just, they look this bad. It's when you look at what they traded to get Russell Wilson and then how much money they gave him. I mean, that might just be, and I've, I've had to question this because I think about basketball too. That might be the worst trade in professional sports history. The way that it's looking right so now. I'm also far. thinking about the time that the uh, the Nets traded for the aging like Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett yeah. and gave like a bunch of picks to the Celtics. That the Celtics led- just straight robbed the Nets. I'm also thinking about the time where just this year, where somehow Danny Ainge once again fleeced the Timberwolves into giving up like what five picks for <laughs> for Rudy Gobert. <laughs> just about the, how do you all trade the Lakers Memphis? That was bad too. Right. And those, like, and those picks led to Jalen Brown and Marcus yep. and all that. So oh my God. Go. It's just, but, but yeah, I'm thinking about this Russell Wilson trade. They gave up so much to get him and yeah. he looks terrible. Like, there's no way around. Like people want to say like, Oh, it's Hackett and his play calling. Yeah. That's a factor, but just like, don't look at the analytics, just watch the game. Like you can see him. He is staring down receivers. He's not going through his progressions. He's very inaccurate making his throws, you know, like to whoever he's throwing it to. He's struggling with his deep ball, which was like his trademark thing in Seattle. And he just like, honestly, legitimately, I think that he is playing on the same level as like a Mitchell Trubisky right now. 
Like it's just not good enough. And for a guy who's won a Super Bowl, who wants to do all these commercials, like Broncos country, let's ride. Like, <laughs> it, it is oh, so bad. It's cringe, man. Like so this whole crazy. situation is cringe. I feel for the Broncos fans. I know that like that city, that city is kind of similar to Philly and New York. Like they take their sports seriously in Denver and they're getting flat out embarrassed. I mean, I just don't see it getting this much better. I mean, have the Broncos even scored more than 20 points this season? I don't think so. No, not yet. They haven't. And um, yeah, like, and then also just the coach, these questionable decisions Nathaniel Hackett's making people really want to strangle that dude. You think it's that fair? Are we overreacting? <laughs> but you know what? That's, that's even more excusable because he's a rookie, co- uh, rookie coach. Exactly. Wilson was supposed to be the guy steering the ship as soon as he got to Denver. Right. They, they- they sold the entire homestead for him, and he was making the claim simultaneously when he was in Seattle that he was a bigger piece of the pie than Pete Carroll was. So they were already putting their stakes betting on him to run the offense higher at a higher efficiency than than he is now. So I understand like that there should be you know uh, a more graceful transition with this team and and they they should be putting up numbers and and you know dialing up better plays and whatnot i've I've just been so um discouraged and depressed by watching russell wilson in this offense operate i think (laughs) that i i watched the first half when it was like six six or six three and um and (laughs) when i woke up i was like oh stefan gilmore uh, pl- uh, player of the game. I'm like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> Yo, quarter pick. It's like, <laughs> oh, you guys got to be killing. You guys got to be kidding me. I think there's so much to be sought to be desired with both of these teams, and I think luckily for Indianapolis, um, they play in a crappy division, but they're just uh, they're just as bad behind them as well. You know, I, I want to say really quickly just two things. One. You guys got to, if you're not already, you got to follow that NFL memes page on Instagram because they had some killers. They had some killers after this game. But um, the Broncos, this is actually a great way to cycle this back to the beginning of this this episode. We're talking about the Giants because the Broncos have a better defense than the Giants. They have a great defense. They have a running game that while like they don't have a back who's as good as Saquon Barkley, like they're two. I know Javante Williams got injured, but their two backs in combination are running very effectively. They have better receivers than the Giants do, Mm -hmm. and they're supposed to have the better quarterback and they're getting trounced. This is what I mean, this is what they're like one and four right now. One or they no, I'm sorry, they're two uh, and three. Yeah, two and three. Two, and, two three. and three. Like they're getting absolutely trounced on offense right now. And I think this is actually a this is not just an indictment on Russell Wilson, but it is on the coach as well. I know again, we're talking about a rookie coach, but like that's your difference in coaching once again. Like Dayball over in New York is able to take a worse roster and get better results than this team that should be contending to be in the upper echelon of the AFC. And they look God awful. Like there's your coaching difference on top of Russell Wilson doing all the terrible things he's doing. And so many turnovers too. If Melvin Gordon would just hold on to the ball, you're talking about the comparison with like Daniel Jones, who's been able to, to um, lessen his turnovers, but Melvin Gordon now is transitioning to that. And, it's, it's, it's just a mess. It was a real mess. And um, like I said, Broncos are again on prime time playing on Monday night. And, um, you know, if Russell Wilson doesn't want to be the butt of jokes, he's going to have to have a good game this week. And um, ultimately see if that is the case. They're so, lucky they're facing a Chargers team who is like just riddled with injuries. I mean, between like 
Um, Keenan Allen having that hamstring issue, their quarterback dealing with like cartilage issues. I mean, I think Bosa's battling an injury on the defensive yep. end. You know, it's just yeah, they're they're like the Chargers should have should blow this team out if healthy. If healthy, and that was gonna again another great transition for the next team I have. Um, so we have here Chargers and Browns keeping it close, very close. Jacoby Brissett throws a very bad interception in the end zone in the fourth. Browns miss a game-winning field goal. Um, Austin and Browns just keep being Browns, um, ironically. And then we have – but we have some other things to point out, like Austin Eckler has another get big game to make up for his lost time. But um, we have plus, questionable play calling again with the Chargers at the end of the fourth, such as going in for fourth and two on their own 50, not going for that – um, field goal. Ultimately, it worked out because the Browns missed their opportunity, but um, this easily could have slipped, and the Browns lose another, another, another close game that with better decision-making moments from their coach could have led to possibly a winning record at this point. So, as you mentioned, Chargers have some injury issues, but Browns seem to really learn how to lose this season. Like, what do we take out of that? Um, you know what? This is actually a two and three team that I'm just not that worried about. You know, I think that the story of like the Browns being the Browns, it's, I feel like it's been changing over the last few years. I think they've gotten some new players in there that are kind of reversing the culture a little bit. I know that the, the results still look the same, but watching these games, I watched a lot of the Browns Panthers games. I was interested in seeing if you know, how Mayfield was going to do with that. I watched the Browns jets game I, and the Steelers game was a prime time game. And I watched a lot of this chargers game against the Browns this past week. And they look good. Like, I mean, I feel like they're still yeah. like messing Especially up in some key game. moments, but yeah, Chubb is amazing. Like who wouldn't want him on their team? I mean, seriously. Yeah. And having the, also the combo with him and Kareem Hunt, Jacoby Brissett, like, in my opinion, has been the best backup QB in football right now over Cooper Rush. And I think that he's done great being asked to fill in. I mean, the Browns got some issues on defense for sure, but I mean, I would still be optimistic. I mean, they're barely losing some of these games and Jacoby's been pretty comp- been pretty consistent like with handling the ball this season. So that late pick, I don't really put too much on that against him. I, I think mm-hmm. that the Browns are going to be doing all right uh, this season. I, th- I actually think they still got a chance to make the playoffs. And I, uh, I think they just got, they're just like one or two bad decisions each game from actually being 5-0 and right now. Yeah, no, I've been pleasantly surprised because when, when we originally made our preseason picks, uh, Desmond, um, we factored in the fact that there was going to be an 11-game suspension coming down the pipe for uh, Deshaun. But I've been, yeah. you know, Positively, um, you know, uh, surprised by this team and and their you know ability to gel and and lean on the off and the, and the run game because the one thing we also know too is that um, this defense really hasn't um, you know has had some concerns with uh, you know with with, um, with Miles Garrett being out and right. you know having issues with their with their secondary as well. Um, I think that there's a lot to be desired there too, but um, it feels like Stefanski really has a, um, you know, he has a really um, a good handle on this offense and, you know, leaning on Chubb and Kareem Hunt to really, you know, guide uh, Brissett, in, you know, late in these games. And I think that even if they're, you know, blowing these games late, um, I, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by, you know, how, how they're able to, um, you know, keep, keep the offense clicking and gelling and, um, 
you know, stay stay in these high stakes games with teams that they normally wouldn't really be there with uh, down the stretch without Deshaun Watson. So I think the infrastructure is sound. It's sturdy. It's there. And I think that when Deshaun does come back, he's going to be inheriting a lot better of a roster than he initially thought. Yeah, I mean, there are three losses where they lost by three, they lost by two, and they lost by one. So, I mean, like, that's that's amazing. I mean, that's yeah. actually even more ridiculous than the Raiders. You know, no offense. But, like, yeah, it's yeah. just, I mean, like, even when you're losing, you're keeping it super competitive. No, I, I think the Browns have had some bad luck, but I think they got a great foundation here. Yeah, it's tough. And, it, you know, it's tough, too, because, you know, Eckler really, really causes a lot of defenses issues, um, especially with the Chargers, when you know that um, Herbert has the arm that he has and he's got weapons all over the place. Um, so I think that it is hard to kind of game plan and scheme to, you know, slow down Eckler. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they play, you know, the rest of the season and just uh, for some of these different types of offenses. Uh, yeah, definitely. The Chargers have a I, – I love Justin Herbert. I think his receiving core leaves a little bit to be desired. Like I think Mike Williams is a good receiver. I think Keenan Allen is a good receiver, but they're just, I don't don't really know how to describe it. I feel like they're just missing something in that receiving core. I don't think they need a, I think a good slot receiver, Mm -hmm. you know, like someone who can, because Keenan Allen's getting a little bit slower. He's getting a little bit older. I think they just need somebody who's like quick in the middle. I think actually someone like a Hunter Renfro type, like type of player on the chargers offense would make them very dynamic or like a, a good tight end. But I feel like they're like a piece or two away from being, you know, like a, a Bills or a Chiefs offense. Yep. Definitely making excellent points on that one. And next team I want to discuss. So I went on here and I said in my upset pick that the Detroit Lions were going to technically upset the New England Patriots at a one and four at one and three record at the time. Um, and sorry. Yeah. At a one and three record at the time. And it was the complete opposite of what I thought was going to happen in the results. The lines get straight up shut out. They lose 29 to zero. I mean, just a returning Moss St. Brown. There was not electric. Jared Goff looked lost out there. The Patriots after getting truly written off saying, Oh, this is the true end of the Patriots. And that still may be the case. They're still an under 500 team, but this, uh, this made me look really bad in my picks and I just have to stand and, and take it all in. I think the lions have gotten a pass after going to hard knocks. Dan Campbell's like, Oh, this team has so much heart. This team is so much fun to watch. I love the lions. They're lovable losers. And the games prior to this, they were destroying teams on offense, but having a terrible defense behind it, giving up 30, 40 points in these games. And now I think it's time to stop being cute with the Lions. And seriously, after you get shut out, after you get shut out and then give up 29 points to a team that was one and three on their third string quarterback as well. Um, the Lions' honeymoon phase is over, and they really need to get to work. You guys feel the same way? I, you know, I do, but uh, I, I want to separate that 
sentiment and final, you know, uh, assessment of Detroit, you know, so I want to separate that from this game particularly because I think that this was a classic Bill Belichick, you know, eating alive uh, a coach off of his home turf. I thought this yeah. was more, I think this was more of an indictment on, you know, Dan Campbell versus Belichick in particular versus these two opposing teams, because I think that, you know, you got Stevenson running all over them for 160 yards. You got Jacoby Myers getting seven for uh, for 111 yards. I, I thought when you look at Zappi's stat line, the, the third string backup for New England, I thought that he played, a you know, pretty much just a conservative game. He was kind of just steadying, steadying the ship against the tide. I thought that they didn't really do anything spectacular out of the ordinary. I just thought that this was just kind of a battle of wills between coaching. So I think that two things can be kind of true here. Um, I don't think it needs to be said that Detroit still has a lot of heart and they have potential with this team. But I also think that this was just an embarrassment um, of riches between a, di- uh, a a huge chasm in coaching. You know, I, uh, I didn't get a chance to watch as much of this game as I wanted to. So I got like, just like little, like brief, like clips here and there of it. Uh, but from what I saw, I mean, it just, it just felt like the, the, the lions weren't able to like in the game adjust to what, how the Patriots were playing them defensively. You know, I, I think some coaches are really good at like developing like a game plan ahead of time. Like I think of like Andy Reid, for instance, like he's great at coming into a game with a strong game plan. And there's coaches like Belichick who can change the game plan in the game to match the flow of the game. And I think other coaches struggle with that. And I think it looked like Dan Campbell just had no answer for the fact that the Patriots were just completely taking them out of, you know, sync on offense. And of course, you know, Amon Rossi Brown isn't 100% healthy. He was obviously, he was like a, I guess you could refer to it as like a pitch count. Like he wasn't able to be out there for as many snaps as he would have been. Yeah. You know, DeAndre Swift is not in the game. So you have your backup running back who looked good last week. But I think we're also seeing that Seattle's defense is suspect. I don't know if you want to talk about that later. So I think okay. that, you know, what you really just had here is that the Lions had just, I think they just assumed that they were a great offensive team. And <laughs> just had, uh, they had no answer for this New England defense. And I guess, you know, 29 points is actually below the average for what the Lions usually give up defensively. Right. So, I mean, you look at Zappi's stat line, he didn't even throw for 200 yards passing. So, I mean, it wasn't exactly like this all-out aerial attack. It looks like the the Patriots just controlled the game. And I don't think the Lions are a playoff team, but I don't think that their offense – their offensive production is a fluke either. I think their offense will get back on track, but I don't think this defense is going to be able to like help them win many, if any games this year, truthfully speaking, their defense is horrific. Yeah. I think what, yeah. I think what happened just to top off that point, uh, Desmond, because that's a great point. I think a lot of what um, new England's game planning was, was, you know, kind of allowing what Goff's offense was going to put into play and kind of feed off of that, feed off of their, um, you know, their miscues and, um, you know, their missteps with, with the offense. So I think a lot of it was just kind of taking, taking what they give them. Yeah. 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 Only, only really thing you could be excited for is Aiden Hutchinson. And um, he's been quiet in the last couple of games too for and they, and they shut down Hawkinson too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Holding it down. It was just an absolute mess for Detroit and um, again, like I said, it's time to for them to be taken more seriously. And, and it's a good thing they got a bye week. 
Yes, yeah. as the buy start this week, very much needed, very much needed. So let's talk about another beat down. The Bills just take advantage of another beaten down Steelers team. I mean, Josh Allen goes him. Gabe Davis returns to form. Kenny Pickett's trying to fight off <laughs> the biggest guys on defense. Yeah, don't do and, that. And um, yeah, it, you know, definitely the Steelers have had a rough start to their season, and Mike Tomlin really um, isn't used to losing so much all at once. But I mean. You know, I don't want to say it was a practice game for the Steelers, but I'm for the um, um, for the Bills per se. But you know, when Josh Allen has almost over 300 yards in the first half, um, it w- they really had a comfortable game, and uh, I hope people yeah. did prop bets for the offensive numbers for the Bills. I mean, not much really to take away from this, but just Kenny Pickett. Um, I don't think he's had his breakout game yet, clearly, and um, the Bills just needing to just beat up on a weaker opponent before they play a big steel uh, chiefs team this week. Right. I mean, I felt fortunate that in my fantasy draft this year, my number one pick was Stefan Diggs. Um, you know, usually people go running back in the first round, but uh, I did not. And I have been thankful ever since. So it was uh, even though, you know, Gabe Davis took the, took the biggest points of the week, you know, I was thankful that Stefan Diggs still got his, the bills are in a different class, man. Like they're just in a different class because while they have the dominant offense, like a chiefs, you know, like do they have the far superior defense? Yeah. I mean, their defense can be stifling, you know, like they only gave up like 10 points, to the Rams, seven of the Titans, uh, they gave 21 to the, to the dolphins. That's a division game. I'll let that one go 20 to the Ravens, three to the Steelers. I mean, they've been just like absolutely smothering people. And they've already gone over 30 points three times this season. It looks like they're a college team out there, just molly whopping people. I mean, ever since I saw the 2007 Patriots lose to the Giants in that Super Bowl where they were going when they were 18 and 0, like I'm not going to say that anyone's a shoe in to win the Super Bowl, but the Bills have to be the favorite. I mean, they have especially to now that they have, you know, there were some injuries in the secondary the, the past couple of weeks, but everyone seems to be back and ready to roll. And yeah, all, they arguably, have a, even their punter is one of the best punters in the league. It's out of control, man. And there's also reports that Von Miller is openly recruiting Odell Beckham Jr. to come join the team. The report came out today or it was either today or yesterday that um, the Bills are seeking to trade for Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, I are saw you that. Are kidding me? They they, they really, Devin on, Singletary's been fine, but if they just really have a star-studded running back, then you know they'll finally get the Super Bowl that Bills Mafia has been waiting for after Yo. four straight losses in the Super Bowl after you know a 15-year period of being lost. Um, um, after having to deal with yeah. Tom Brady in your division for 20 years, you know, like they're just it's it. We want the Super Bowl once and for all, and um, they're really making a push for it, and um, especially when you destroy teams on your way there and um you you and you really uh make an impact like that there there's a there's no reason why you aren't right on that prediction Desmond I mean the way I look at it is like I'm that's my final point on the bills here I I love when real fan bases 
have good teams Mm -hmm. and their teams are competing for championships. Like maybe because I grew up around Philly and I know that our sports town is for real. Like we love our sports. I know New York's the same way. I know Boston's the same way. Buffalo loves the bills. They love the bills. Yeah, man. And so like, I would love for them to have a chance to really, you know, go deep and compete for it this year because Watching the Rams win last year was just whack. The Rams fan base is mm-hmm. not they, the Rams don't have a fan base. The Rams and the Chargers play 17 road games a year. It's pathetic. <laughs> like the Rams, the Rams, the Rams fan base is all in St. Louis. Yeah. It, you know, like so I mean, like, yeah, they they have to it's ridiculous. Every time I watch a Rams game, there's always more fans of the visiting team than that you have to go silent count in your own home like that's yeah. embarrassing but that would never happen in philly like when the cowboys come to town this week i mean like if there are cowboys fans there they won't be making that much noise because they might get beat up <laughs> what's what's crazy I've, I've made this point to matt in years past but it's like you at one point you had you had the raiders the niners the chargers and the rams in in California, and ironically enough, you probably have more Raiders fans and Niners fans in the whole state combined than either of them. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, yeah, California loves the Raiders and the Niners. I mean, yeah. it's like the Rams and the Chargers barely even exist down there. Yeah, and and yeah. and I don't want to you know uh, relay too much anything you guys said because I think everything was spot on. I think the only thing left to be desired with this team with Buffalo is you know. The, running the ball and figuring out, you know, the run game to kind of balance. Exactly. It, it still seems like they, they only have one way to really win with this team, but it is a damn good way to win. That's for sure. Because Josh Allen's looking like already looking like an MVP. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, their weakness is their run game. And so when I saw them going after Christian McCaffrey, while that is smart, it also feels unfair to everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> It's like just holy shit, just calm down. <laughs> you, and I think it's no. I think it's difficult too. Um, one last thing with Pittsburgh because I think we knew coming into the season that they were going to have a down year. Um, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't I didn't I picked them around third or last place in the division. Um, I think that this is definitely not. This was like the worst possible scenario you wanted as a Steelers fan to have Pickett coming out and getting his um you know, hopes and confidence kind of humbled by a game like this, because I said that, you know, if you're going to roll him out and introduce him to the league, you probably want to start him on a week when he would have a weaker opponent, but not against the future, you know, Super Bowl appearing Buffalo Bills. That's for sure. <laughs> it just, it's not, I mean, like, I think the press kind of beat Tomlin in submission with this one, because <laughs> honestly, when you look at their schedule, this was the absolute worst time to bring him out. They're yeah. playing like, like at the bills against the Buccaneers <laughs> at the dolphins at the Eagles. And then the saints have a good defense too. And then you have to play the Bengals. I mean, like that is a gauntlet of, yeah. of competition coming up for the Steelers. I mean, so either he's going to learn how to play good really fast or he's going to get crushed. Boy, yeah. it's, it, it, when you really make it that clear it's almost hilarious boy if you really want to stick in the nfl here you go (laughs) yeah real fast oh my goodness yo this is a very interesting game to really analyze saints and seahawks kept it really close congino is continuing the great season he's having continuing to ballot out saints gave up the saints did give up points but they contain the offense when it matters the most like take it, uh, Cam Jordan's big sack in the fourth. Lots of key injuries took place, but Dalton keeps the team alive with second team receivers after injuries to Olaf. 
and Landry and uh, uh, questions with Landry and stuff, but the saints hold on to win and a much needed victory for them. So um, Devin, you mentioned before about the Seahawks defense. How do you feel they fared against a uh, saints team that had to put a lot of their backups in? The Seahawks do not have a defense. Mm. And I mean, like, like that. <laughs> I, it, it really is as simple as that. I mean, miss Jamal Adams, they miss a lot of things, but honestly, the Seahawks were supposed to be in a rebuilding year. I, yep. I think like everyone was kind of like, you know, gearing up for that when they got rid of Wilson in the first place. So, I mean, the fact that Geno Smith looks as good as he does and that the offense looks as good as it does, I think kind of like, switched people's um, expectations around where they were like, Hey, maybe we don't have to think of this as a rebuilding year. Maybe we can think of this as a competing year because Geno Smith looks great. Yeah. They did not expect that, (laughs) but your defense looks like a lion's defense. And so like for as great as your offense is playing, I mean, I don't know that you can really compete that much. I mean, I, I just don't see it, but I, I am encouraged with the future of the Seahawks. Their new running back looks great. Uh, Walker. I mean, obviously it was a question of can Gino be good enough to hit your good receivers in, in Lockett and Metcalf. I think he's answered that question with a resounding yes. Um, Noah Fance has worked into this offense pretty well. But yeah, I mean, defensively, they, they're having a hard time stopping a nosebleed. So um it's it's kind of pathetic for them right about now. Yeah, and, and then the missing. Well, you talked about the new running back there too, but no Rashad Penny sucks. But I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. your point out. You were saying no. I'm I'm really high on a lot of the skill positions with the Seattle team. I think this offense um, is probably a lot better than people give it credit for. But I also had them in a, re, a full rebuild as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this was more credit to uh, New Orleans um, than Seattle, actually, because I think that Dennis Allen finally, you know, f- figure something out with this offense. I think that the first four or five weeks, we kind of felt that they were a little out of sync and then losing Winston kind of set them back a bit because now they have to go back to the drawing board and readjust this offense um, as they're figuring it out um, and simultaneously, you know, catering it to Dalton as well. But I think um, reintroducing Taysom Hill at a larger role um, and reintegrating him into the offense, you know, say what you will as for him as a starter. Very key to have. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, like, he's not a desirable starting quarterback, but he takes – he alleviates a lot of pressure off Dalton to just kind of game manage and, you know, uh, do a lot of spread-style offense that you would see more in college where you're doing a lot of jet sweeps and you're doing a lot of stuff in the backfield that um, keeps the defense on its toes and – we, we saw that in this game. I uh, I think between Hill and Kamara, they ran Seattle out of the building. They were well over 220 yards on the ground. And I, I really like the game plan that, um, you know, uh, that Dennis Allen came up with because uh, I don't really know what I was to expect of him as a starting um, um, head coach. I know that Sean Payton probably left him with a few, you know, options on the table for him to kind of, you know, get this team ready to play. But I think he has uh, a lot to prove, and I think this is a great start for him. No, I agree. I actually picked up Taysom Hill on my fantasy team like three weeks ago and then hey. dropped him last week thinking like, ah, he's just not doing that great. And then, the yeah, worst. I regretted it. Yeah, that I regretted it pretty worst. hard. Yeah, oh, man. But yeah, it, it is. And um, I think also another thing, I think uh, moving forward that the Saints and Dennis Allen should stick with Andy Dalton. He still has something left, at least 
putting his teams in the right position, especially Alva, you know, Alva Kamara. I know, I think people forget he, uh, he allegedly does have some legitimate legal issues above his head, but I don't know. Yeah. Now, uh, but Hey, keep it going. But I think um, this game shows stick with Andy Dalton. You guys think so too? Yeah. I've always thought Andy Dalton was a little, I don't know. I think people kind of gave him too much crap. I mean, I know that he's not like a franchise franchise quarterback, but I think he's more than serviceable. I mean, I think his skills aren't that different than a Jimmy Garoppolo. It just depends on what your, what your expectations of him are tailored to be, because he can definitely stay in the shadows in new Orleans and play efficiently every Sunday. Um, But it makes it even easier for him to thrive when you have a guy like Taysom Hill to spread the offense and spread the field and, you know, lean more into that run game and let him just kind of do a little bit of play action and do some check down throws where you can move the ball efficiently and just not turn the ball over. Yeah. Good stuff. Gentlemen, Tampa Bay. Let's talk about this Tampa Bay at Atlanta. Tampa Bay holds on Falcons do make a push at the end. But um, they weren't able to keep up after Brady's hot start. And I guess the real question out of this is the questionable roughing the passer call at the end, which prevents a punt and, you know, prevents a last-minute ditch effort with a final drive for Atlanta, which sucks. But, um, you know, it is what it is. Atlanta continues to hit the cover once again. They're undefeated in the cover for you gamblers out there. But, um, again... Another uh, tough loss for Atlanta in general. So let's talk about that story with the roughing the passer. I did they all? Is there like a new roughing the elder penalty going on with Tom Brady? I mean, uh, weird stuff. Weird stuff. And I really again with the other questionable call. You know, when they had the roughing the passer in the KC Raiders game, it ultimately didn't matter with the final result. This prevented Atlanta to have a final drive, and um, you know. Uh, are we really going to keep having these debates till they do till they have flag football in a uh, professional football? I mean, I don't know with these things, the quarterback is the most protected position um, literally and figuratively. And um, I really think calls like this can make a big difference. And I think it really did with Atlanta this week. What well, I would love to hear your comments on how the roughing the passer affected this particular game and what are we going to even do moving forward with this unless they legitimately change the rules of no tackling because uh, clearly we we don't know what exactly is roughing the passer. It's not like um, if you've seen longest yard when they throw the quarterback down and literally punch him. Yeah, that's roughing the passer, but this seemed like a clear a clean sack. There's three things here I want to touch on. <laughs> Let so first, first, I think that to some degree, the NFL actually likes this because we spent years as NFL fans having the conversation of what is a catch? And I mm-hmm. think it drove a lot of like online, like, you know, debates and people being pissed off and the ESPN personalities would go lose their minds over this. And I, and I think to a degree, that's part of the NFL's business plan. I think that they like the outrage. So I think it gets people talking. And I think that at the end of the right. day, that works for them. Um, so I don't think they're actually too upset about the whole, like needing to get it right thing. I think a part of this is like, is I think it's like part of the calculated chaos that they like about their situation. But secondly, I think that in the more human element of it, I think that, you know, when we talk about basketball, 
we see all the time players lobbying for calls and it works a lot in the NFL. It doesn't work really at all. But I think this is one of those times where Tom Brady got sacked. He got upset because apparently he's not allowed to be touched because he's, you know, he's dramatic as we all know. (laughs) And then he got up off the ground and then he started like lobbying for the flag. And then the flag came out. So the ref felt the lobby of the goats and felt the need to throw the flag. Now, afterwards, people were saying things like, oh, well, you know, like after what happened with Tua the last week, of course, we're going to protect the quarterback. But if you go back to last week, we're talking about Tua. No one was really talking about the violence of the hit on Tua. People were mad at the fact that after he showed signs of a concussion, that the Dolphins didn't do the right things to protect the dude. Right. Excellent. You know what I mean? So I'm like, it feels like they're trying to like change the conversation around. We're like, oh, well, we're trying to protect the quarterback now. I was like, no, the hit against Tua wasn't violent. You just did the wrong thing after the dude got up and was obviously mm-hmm. hurt. So don't turn around and try to act like now, like, oh, well, we're still not going to actually change, you know, what we need to change with the with the concussion protocols. We're just going to have these ridiculous roughing the passer penalties now. Like, no, it, it, it's a cop out. Like that ref shouldn't have made that call. It was a fucking egregious call. And at the end of the day, I mean, I would hope that more NFL fans get pissed off so that we don't normalize that kind of nonsense because, you know, like, I know they want to protect the quarterback, but at the same time, like we all have rooting interests in these games. If you're a Falcons fan, you're probably losing your damn mind, you know, yeah. after seeing a call like that, because you also know that that call wouldn't have went for Marcus Mariota. <laughs> they would, they would encourage it. They wouldn't even make a throw the flag. No. You yeah, no, Desmond, you're hundred percent correct. Correct with all, you know, three prongs of that argument that I think you could have really summed up exactly what we saw this past weekend and in this game on Tua Tungavailoa because when Brian was sitting in your seat uh, theoretically um, last week we were going we were going through the you know the how and why the situation with uh, Tua was emerging and how it was developing and I said that this is going to produce a long string of unintended consequences going into the next week of football and lo and behold, you got two bogus calls, both in the Kansas city game and this game with, um, with, with, with referees throwing out the playbook and looking the other way for the sake of overprotecting the quarterback, because there's so much money invested interest in that position. And that particular player is Tom Brady. And I think, we get to a dangerous ground and dangerous territory where we're looking the other way and we're changing the script for how the, the, the league is to be operated under the guise of the rules. And we're, we're getting away from how the game's actually meant to be refereed. And I think that's a dangerous place to go. And I don't say that lightly because I don't like throwing that word around, but um, yeah. I, 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 I don't like to call, I don't think that there was any, um, you know, textbook, um, you know, uh, uh, change to the hit that because now not only are you are you um, pulling back on defenses and you're making the game less fun for defenses and and, and the turnovers and and the, the excitement that comes with competitive football, but you're also undermining a lot of how these guys play the game and you're actually forcing more undue error on some of these pass rushers and these defensive players, because now they have to pull themselves back and retract and possibly get themselves hurt as well. Yeah. I mean, they've asked too much. Like at a certain point, I know that everyone kind of complained when they were like, 
we have to protect the quarterbacks more. And they're like, all right, you can't go high. Like, all right, well, all right, we'll, we'll go low. Like, oh no, you can't go low now. Like, all right, well, now you have a strike zone. It's like, okay, well now they're hitting the freaking strike zone. And then it's like, oh, well, you can't tackle them in a way where you're putting yeah. your whole body weight on them because you're going to break collarbones. And it's just like, and, and now you're adding this element to them. It's like, at a certain point, you have to realize that you are making it impossible like it's impossible. Yeah. Like there's nothing left, especially with the era of mobile quarterbacks. You got people like Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen. How do you tackle these people? Yep. And 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 the thing is, with the, the the example, the reason I didn't like the Tua example as to why that they were going to have this overreaction from the league top down is because they made it about Tua's past history of injury as the reason as to why they needed to protect the player and the position and the position. And it's like, no, no, that's not why you protect quarterbacks because there's plenty of young talented quarterbacks in here that put their bodies in the line and take huge risks in the open field. But now you're resorting yourself in terms of the league's responsibility to the, to the, to the rule book, you're bringing it to the lowest common denominator by protecting Brady and these other quarterbacks where you can't even spit or fart in their freaking zone, let alone hit them. And you got to be away from the PR that people give. Don't listen to the people on Twitter. Most people on Twitter are delusional, don't know what they're talking about. And I'm not saying that they, you know, take their opinions lightly because I do think a lot of changes would happen if they did. But um, I, I know they, they definitely don't want to keep getting the ridicule with the head injuries. But again, you, you have to understand this is what we, they, those players sign up for what we as fans want to see. And there's definitely a way you could keep safety in the game without also taking the integrity away from it as well. The only thing I want to say finally about this too, before I hand it over to Desmond, before we move on, is because I think that this this issue will correct itself over the next few weeks. I this really felt like the tone of this past weekend's football and the and the and the, and the rules that were going on. It felt almost like a little bit of overcompensation. Looking back in hindsight at the two a hit, and I think that it will ultimately correct itself in the next few weeks. Fair point. I mean, player safety is a big deal. We all, I mean, I think that most people get it. You know, I played football when I was younger, thinking about it now, I wonder about like CTE kind of stuff because I played defensive line. So you take a lot of those like, you know, like repetitive hits over and over and over again. Um, So like, yeah, I mean, head trauma is a real thing. You obviously want to do what you can, but at the same time, I mean, like there are limits, you know, at a certain point, you know, like you can only protect people so much. I mean, if we're trying to add on extra layers of protection and then like, yeah, let's invest in better helmets. Let's invest into a second bye week. How the fuck has that not happened yet? You know, excuse my language, but like, you know, just these are, there's obvious ways to mitigate it, to have people be more healthy and sustainable without like absolutely changing the game to a point where it cannot be played correctly for certain positions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent points as always, gentlemen. The Vikings made some big moves, both on the running and passing game. I think the Bears are a team that if a team needs to reset, play the Chicago Bears in 2022. That was the case for Minnesota. Dalvin Cook looked awesome. Kirk Cousins looked awesome. And um, 
they seem that they can get their groove back with this big division win for Minnesota. Am I right, guys? The Bears, do we see the Bears even winning again at this point? And um, are the Vikings proving that they can take this division or at least make strides to, especially with the Packers having their struggles? Well, I originally had Minnesota winning the division because I saw a lot of the setbacks being played out with Green Bay, and I thought that, um, you know, Kirk Cousins, as long as he's playing at 1 o'clock on Sunday and playing under the <laughs> with no expectations <laughs> that they were going to be fine, and I, I think it's playing out perfectly. But, I mean, in all seriousness, there was a lot of upgrades in the offseason. I think I, I fell in love with Minnesota's roster um, a, lot, a lot, way more ahead of schedule. Um, and I, I was really just shockingly impressed by Kirk Cousins' 12-15 on third down. is incredible. Um, I thought that if you look at the stats, they dominated in yards, um, you know, uh, um, per, uh, passing yards, rushing yards per play, time possession, and first downs. I mean, all across the board, they were just unbelievable. And um, yeah, they're just they're they're going to keep moving. They're just going to keep moving at a high level. I, I love everything they're doing on offense, and I think the defense, um, you know, showed out as well. The Vikings should make the playoffs. Will they win the division? Hard to say. Watching the Vikings play the Eagles, you know, back in week two, I thought that the Vikings kind of gave that game to us in a way, like watching that entire game. Um, they played this really weak, like shell defense the whole game. And I think they've mostly stuck with that through the whole season, uh, which I think is a really dumb way of playing defense. I think the Eagles played that a few years back. It just, you're basically just like allowing people to take chunks all the way down the field and you try to get them into the red zone and where you hope to get them at that point in time. So you don't have anything go over your head. You're basically admitting that your secondary sucks. Um, and on top of that, Kirk Cousins, is a good quarterback when the, like, well, just like you said, Alex, when the pressure isn't on, but the pressure is eventually going to be on. So can he perform in the bigger games towards the end of the season in primetime games when he's competing for the division, when they have to go back to Lambeau or when they have to go to Lambeau rather? I, I don't know. I, I don't know, but they should make the playoffs onto the bears. Will the bears win this season? They are facing the commanders on Thursday. So, um, oh man, this will be a tough one to watch. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw that, when I, I, you know, after the Colts Broncos game last week, I was like, who's gonna be in the next game? And it was like, Bears Commanders. I was like, who is scheduling these games <laughs> on Thursday Night Football, too? This is what Jeff Bezos invested in. This is what you literally have to pay for, too. You know what? Craziest part about that is somebody did the math here. I guess Bezos has a contract for 11 years for $13 billion. And when you break it down, he's actually paying $78 million per game, which includes last week's game and this week's game. So I think that's just hilarious, but back to the bears, (laughs) back to the bears here. This might just be the worst offense in the NFL. Justin Fields looks like a bust. I really think yeah. he is. He's definitely uh, and that's not because year. I'm a Penn State guy and he's an Ohio State guy. I mean, like, I just think he's a bust. Um, I don't think if you put him in a different system, he's going to magically be better. He just doesn't look – he looks like he is so shook on the football field. I don't know if he's got, like, an anxiety problem or if he's got some other things going on, but he does not look like a good quarterback. And I don't think the Bears have a future with him as their quarterback. And I'm selling all things Bears right now. So, I mean, like – 
The Commanders also aren't a great team, so the Bears might find a way to win the occasional game against other bad teams, but their only chance of winning any game is against other very bad teams. Well, I want to I want to push back a little bit, Desmond, because I'm certainly no ban, uh, Bears apologist because I think they suck as well, too. But yeah, I, before I saw all stock on Justin Fields, I want to remind everybody as well, including our listeners, that, you know, he 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 did inherit possibly the worst possible offensive line the past two years. Also with a coach in Matt Nagy that didn't really know what he was doing, fell a lot over his skis last year. I think the Bengals might want to have a they might want to have a say for the offensive line conversation, but yeah, go ahead. But I mean, just like in the past two years, they were like 30th and 31st or something around there. And and in any respect, you know, losing out Robinson without with the contract and not really having a running game that's dependable week to week, it really is bereft of of of, of options all over the place. And uh, defense can only take you so far. So I think before. We're ready to sell the stock because I'm certainly no Justin Fields fan. I want to make sure that we can kind of get uh, an accurate read on him before uh, everybody sells their stock. Alex is giving the measured, like, fair take. I'm giving the hot (laughs) take for the sense of trying to say something controversial. (laughs) But, you know, to be fair here, I I could be wrong about that because – in the class where Lamar Jackson came out and Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and so on and so forth, I only got two of those five correct when I was thinking about like which quarterbacks were going to be good and which ones were going to be busts. You know, I accurately predicted that Darnold and Rosen would be busts, but I, I also thought that Allen me. was going to be a bust and I was so wrong about that. <laughs> but I thought that Maker, I thought Baker would be okay and I thought Lamar would be good. So, I mean, like my... My history of judging quarterbacks is so so. So I mean, like we'll we'll see how this pans out. But but to your but to your point, like it really depends on where these guys go in the draft as well. Because I don't think Lamar would have had the immediate success if he wasn't in Baltimore under yeah. Ozzie Newsome and that organization, that front office. And I think right. that if you look at on the other side of the tracks, this front office and this organization, they're just so incompetent at every level that it's really hard to get a a fair reading and an assessment on Justin Fields. They're allergic to offense. And it's also, I think it's also an indictment on the ownership in a little bit. For sure. They're talking about building a new stadium right now, which I think Soldier Field's like the oldest stadium in, in, in America. They're talking about building a new stadium and they have no plans on making it a dome. Now, I know that like you want to keep the home field advantage of Chicago and cold and windy, but like in a team that has not had a good offense in my entire lifetime, maybe just let that go and get a dome so that people can actually play like a pass heavy version of football in the city of Chicago. Like Maybe just go that route. And I think it's fair to say that that they're truly a football town. That's a bears town, even more than the Cubs and the white Sox. Like they really love their bears and the bulls. And, and ever since they made the super bowl in 06, they, uh, you know, they may had a, they had a little spurts when, um, God, why am I just blanking on his name? Oh my God. Bobby Smith. Well, yeah, Bobby Smith's coach. No, coach the quarterback. Rex Grossman. Well, yeah, that's a that. I mean, they made most of but made the playoffs. Um, Jay Cutler, Jay, Jay Cutler, one of the yeah. biggest butts of the jokes in the NFL. And you know, <laughs> more, 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 more. 
And then, you know, I know they want, they somehow made the playoffs with Mitch, but um, they really underachieve and they're really hitting their lowest points. And um, Chicago's a great sports town, man. Like, I feel for the fact that, like, they can't seem to get it right with the Bears. Like, I mean, if the Eagles went that long being that bad, well, I would be furious. I'd be oh, burning yeah. jerseys too. Yeah. What are you going to do, guys? But speaking of Lovey Smith, he finally got his first wins as the Texans head coach. They go back and forth to Jacksonville and, and Trevor Lawrence. But ultimately, Houston's ground game with Pierce was a driving force to give them their first win of the year. Bad turnovers for T-Law and Etney. Or it, how do you pronounce it? Etherty? ETN. Yeah, exactly. DTM. We'll go with the ETN. So, um, but ultimately, I know that historically Jacksonville's had a hard time beating Houston, but ultimately Houston finally gets the win that they needed. And um, I think the big question to ask here, I want to talk about T-Law on this. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence was as good as it got when it came to high school and to youth high school and college football. Now in the NFL, though he's been able to to have some durability. He's keeping himself in there. Has had improved weapons. I still don't think he's hit the potential that people wanted to see from him. And now after losing to a team that was winless in week five and um, still having their issues, though they have a good coach, do we think um, Trevor Lawrence will be snapping out of it anytime soon and um, make a good run with this team? Um. I do, personally. I mean, just if I look at the first four weeks, obviously they were two and two. But I mean, Trevor Lawrence had a good game against the Commanders, good game against the Colts. Like they blew out the Chargers. And I think they stuck in it in that Eagles game when, I mean, they got 21 points and they, and that was after having what, four or five turnovers. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, like sometimes, an, like the NFL is a very weird sport in the sense where like rivalries really do matter. And sometimes a team can just have your numbers depending on matchups, you know, and I think that's really the case here. I mean, there is something to be said if a team beats you nine times in a row, nine times in a row, like that is insane. Yeah, (laughs) You know, I mean, really let that sink in. So, I mean, like, I think the Jaguars are a little shook when they get on the field against the Texans. You know, I mean, if a team beats you that many times in a row, that's in your head at that point, especially because the Texans aren't that good. So, I mean, I look at the stat line here. He threw for 286. I mean, they ran for over 100 yards. I mean, yeah, there's a couple interceptions here, but I mean, they were moving up and down the field. They just had a hard time getting in the end zone. I'm willing to let this game go. I think Trevor Lawrence... It's too early to really say if he's like going to be great or just or just a mid-tier quarterback. But I think that the progression from last year to this year is still enough of an improvement for me to say that I think he's actually on the right track. Just shows just how damn good NFL talent is that this guy who was Mr. Perfect in all youth football now goes to the NFL and, you know, like you said, it's not time to write him off just yet, but he just has a ways to go. Yeah, I'm highly encouraged as well by Trevor Lawrence. I think that some of these miscues are just, you know, 
you know, poor reads and, and, you know, miscommunications with the receivers. But um, they, I mean, if you look at the stat lines, they, they, they won in every single front um, statistically with this offense. Um, and I, I'm, I'm highly encouraged by, by this team. I think like as soon as they, you know, continue to, you know, keep improving and, and butting, uh, buttoning up here and there, I, I have a lot more faith in, um, you know, uh, Trevor Lawrence under the supervision of Doug Peterson, particularly as well. Yeah, much more than Urban Meyer. Oh God! Yeah, no one Definitely wants to realize that. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, so we had Derrick Henry have another good game for the Titans. The Titans getting the wins they needed to make up after some tough losses at the beginning of the year. The Commanders yeah. really don't have any upside besides making a push in the fourth quarter. And uh, my big takeaway to talk with this game, do we think that Titans are, what's the word I'm looking, not say back to normal per se, but do we think that they're going to be okay after a rough start in the first few weeks of the year? Does this game show anything of that? Not to me. No, I think think cause for concern in Tennessee is still really high. Um, I think, well, one, you barely beat an inferior opponent. Like Washington's a terrible team. And on top of the fact that you barely beat them, uh, Traylon Burks, their number one, like wide receiver, well, their number one, their round one pick. Yeah. Actually, who they actually got in replacement of AJ Brown. Yep. He just got injured. So, I mean, like, as he was coming along, you still have that issue. Robert Woods has been just, I mean, he's been okay, but their receiving game is terrible. And on a team where you have Derrick Henry, the number one thing you need is a good passing attack. Because, like, if you don't, then they just load up the box. And even he can't get through nine-man boxes. I mean, not at a proficient level anyway. So, I mean, Tennessee is going to keep having a good defense. But, you know, as this passing game for Tennessee continues to be mediocre, I don't think anyone can really take them that seriously. I mean, like... If they make the playoffs, I would be shocked. In the AFC, with as deep as it is this year, I mean, I just can't see them even being a seven seed. Yeah, totally agree. I think that, you know, this team only goes as far as Tan Hill goes, unfortunately. And this, um, you know, losing A.J. Brown was, you know, a tremendous impact. You can see it clearly with the stagnation of their their passing game. And you can only rely so heavily on Derrick Henry, particularly when, the defense is not giving you the turnovers that it did in years past. Um, that secondary is definitely, you know, a lot slimmer. They don't have a lot of the same um, pass rushing threat that they did they did in years past. So they can only really win a certain amount of ways. And truthfully, I think that they could have easily lost this game if Wentz doesn't throw the pick. So, yeah. um, you know, it's definitely not a feather in the cap for for the commies uh, in Washington, but. I think that, um, you know, the Titans, you know, they were very lucky to squeeze out a win there. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I know that this is this is more of a Titans conversation than a Commanders conversation, but, God, the Commanders just look awful, which is great for the Eagles. Oh, of you know? course. So like, this is a, this is a good thing. But, like, <laughs> I, I feel bad for Ron Rivera because I believe that he's a good coach, but I feel like everything goes to die in Washington. Carson Wentz seems to be a real bad luck charm. I know Wentz uh, has an MVP caliber season with you guys, doesn't play in the Super Bowl, gives it to Nick Folk, uh, you know, truly screws the Colts last year in the final three games of this regular season. And now here he uh, 
looks like what people thought he would be. Trapped. Carson Wentz, the person, is a good dude. But on the football field, it is overwhelmingly clear that it's something in his head. Mm-hmm. Like he has some types of like performance anxiety or like, or just like there, it's something mental with him. Like you can see oh. it because mechanically he has great stuff. He can make all the throws, got a big arm. Like, mm-hmm. I think like he can do the touch passes. He can throw the bombs. I mean, like everything you would want from a quarterback's like, I guess like tools he has, but his mind is just unable to make the right decisions. And I think that's just going to be the the whips. um, Yeah. I think that's just going to be the, how the rest of his career goes. Unfortunately, he just seems like he just can't get out of his own way. Yeah. If you look at, I mean, if you look at some of those, those plays where he was, you know, when he was bounced out of the box, like, and he had to pivot to his right, he threw guys that were wide open on the sideline. He either under threw them or threw them wide, right, right. Something's clearly wrong. Uh, aside from the mechanics and and the one that's glaringly you know obvious to me is third down they were one for 11 like that is insane wow can't win if you can't convert you can't, you can't sustain drives like that there's no I way mean, yeah good for the eagles but damn i mean because i i have family in the dc area those people love that football team like they like that is a big time fan base so yeah, i almost feel for them that. but i don't <laughs> I wish it was the it, it late 80s and early yeah. 90s, but what are you going to do? Panthers at 49ers. Baker continues to play bad, but ultimately he's hurt. So it looks like we're going to not see him in a few weeks. 49ers stellar D keeps being a stellar D, especially the defensive line, arguably the best defensive line mm-hmm. in football. Jimmy G keeps at it. Jimmy G, as we've said before, he may not exactly bring fantasy points. He may not be, um, he may not exactly, you know, do star-studded highlights, but the guy just knows how to win. And um, ultimately, after this game, the next day, Matt Rule is the first coach to get fired in the 22 NFL season. So with this, guys, some takeaways there. I think there's plenty to praise about. San Francisco, as I said, great line. I think that Jimmy G's clearly here to stay. Um, weapons, as long as they're healthy with Ayuk and uh, Debo, they're in a good spot. I think we could, could praise the 49ers. And not that they're the most underrated team, but they're clearly um, a team that needs a lot more credit because they, they really can make another deep playoff run, I, I believe. Um, anything to add to that before we uh, focus on what's going to change in Carolina? I love Debo Samuel. I really do. I think that if you were taking all wide receivers, tight ends, and running backs, like if you would have like lumped those three into one group, he's in my top 10 still. Like, I think he's so dynamic. I love everything about him. And I I think he is the sole reason why the 49ers are going to be relevant this year, because honestly, outside of him, I, uh, George Kittle's, you know, still a little banged up, but their team really isn't that special offensively. You don't think so? Off- offensively, not defensively, mm-hmm. but offensively. Okay. Do you think, though, despite that, even if they have maybe make some – I know the trade deadlines in a couple of weeks, if they make some adjustments there, maybe especially their offense line, do you think they can be more sustainable in that sense? They need another – they need another receiver. I mean, because Ayuk is okay. He's not great. 
And Kittle, again, is banged up. And when you have a quarterback who's just kind of average the way Garoppolo is, like he's not bad, but he's not great. He's just mid. So like you, you need to put more playmakers around him to elevate him. And I don't think that the 49ers have a great receiving core. Uh, they have Debo, and that's about the highlights there. Okay. Yeah, that's just, that's just my opinion on it. I, I said for the preseason prediction that this team will go as far as Debo goes, just, you know, regardless of whether you're starting Lance or Garoppolo. But I was heavily impressed because I I, I always knew that the, the 49ers defense was, was stellar, but I didn't think it would be enough to win multiple ways in this league. And I think that this team is showing that they can win twofold on the defense side of the ball and on offense because it was a very pedestrian game for Garoppolo, but he converted on third down when they needed to. Um, and he kept a lot of drives alive. And I think that even when they took away Debo Samuel on a game like this, and they just relied solely on Jeffrey Wilson on the ground, they were able to still win by shutting down that offense for Baker with six sacks. So I think that having multiple ways to win is really the, the is really the strength of this team for San Francisco because moving into the rest of the season they're going to have to find multiple ways to uh, beat teams. Yeah. Now with Carolina, like I said, Matt rules out major injury problems. Um I think uh it's clear that the Carolina Panthers should be sellers. It's weird because technically Aren't they technically in a rebuild this season or they were projecting one and now they're going to essentially rebuild again. PJ Tucker is going to be your starting quarterback. Um, we still have Sam Donald injured and uh, it seems that the Baker acquisition ultimately wasn't what they expected. So, you know, is it time to, are we going to see Carolina now in a, be one of the worst teams in the NFL in a few for a few years after uh, what has transpired this season, you know I have a you know like um, another podcaster who I've you know recorded with a couple of times. You know he lives in Charlotte, Panthers fan. He made a post about this today, and he said in the last twenty five years, here's the worst teams in the NFL as far as winning seasons are concerned. It's like the Falcons have eleven in the last twenty five years. The Dolphins have nine. Texans have eight. Jets, Jaguars, and Bears, and Panthers have seven. The only two teams who are worse are the Lions and the Commanders, having only six winning seasons in the last 25 years. So, yeah, they don't have a culture of winning in Carolina. They're one of the worst franchises in the league, like consistently. If it was me, I know that the NFL doesn't really have a great, like, trade frenzy the way like other sports do like MLB or like the NBA. Yeah. But they should like push the trade deadline back, you know, like a month or so and like give teams more of an opportunity to trade people. Because when I heard that the bills were trying to get Christian McCaffrey, like one, I was like, damn, like the bills don't need him, but also good for the Panthers for finally figuring this out because it's time to like blow that thing up. Like their team is just not their, their defense is good. Sure. But offensively, that whole unit needs to be scrapped. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, sell sell Christian McCaffrey, you know, get rid of DJ Moore. He's a good piece. Some team will need him. The 49ers could use him. <laughs> I mean, but like Yeah, DJ Moore clearly he, has to go to a better team at this point. Well, they he's he he can really be some a of those pick. players are having their best years wasted on the fact that the Carolina Panthers can't seem to get the right quarterback, which literally what this comes down to. 
Well, the thing too we got to remember is that, and Matt and I talked about this, Desmond, is that the Panthers we only we only speculated that the way that they're going to turn around this offense for the remainder of the season is to make you know um, make McCaffrey like you know uh, a jack of all trades type of player, you know, get him out yeah. in the flank, you know, switch up his role and the positions in this offense, and he hasn't yet been able to do that, and I don't think he will be, and I think that as long as he still remains a healthy blue chip asset. They're going to try to move off of him and, and get him to a better place because the one thing we know is that David Tepper, the owner, took over this team with inheriting some of these assets and these pieces. So he has no loyalty to a lot of this roster, particularly Baker Mayfield, because that was more of a product of him being on the open market and not having a backup plan uh, behind Darnold. So I think that right. all things are on the table for a guy like him, and I think he wants to swing for the fences, kind of like the way Ballmer did when he first took over the um, the Clippers. And they should. They got nothing to lose. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. Charlotte's a great sports town. I think they really love their, their teams down there. And, you know, I, I think that you, you got to put a better product on the field, man. I mean, in this day and age, scoring, like, less than 20 points every single week is just not a good enough like product in the NFL. Uh, the one stat that I heard was that under Matt rule, like if a team scored 17 points against the Panthers, that <laughs> the Panthers were one in 27. Yeah. That is insane. Like, yeah, I don't think football is going to get another head coaching job. Yeah, and not in the NFL, yeah, maybe in college, in maybe like, I don't know, like grambling state. Maybe Wagner College. And two points to consider in favor of of this team with a reboot is that, first of all, it's not something that you can scrap a history with like the Packers or the the Bears. They don't have a history, so they don't have a lot to be beholden to in terms of an identity of what kind of team they want to be. They can really make it from scratch and really try a lot of things. But secondarily, too, if you look at the timeline – Brady's not going to be in the league much longer. So that division is wide open. It's wide open. Yeah. And so there's so much uh, uh, ability and mobility to go from from worst to first in a year's time if they do to try to reboot and just scrap everything. And that division's been great for that over the years. I mean, I think, I don't know. I forget the stat at the moment, but there was like, I think a decade long period where the NFC South winner was different every single year. Yeah. We're saying something. The Cowboys and the Rams. Cowboys just manhandled the Rams offense. Cooper Rush stays undefeated as a starter. Rams have some serious offensive line issues. And um, I think, you know, everybody likes to say the Super Bowl hangover, but it, it might be apparent for the Rams here. So what do we really take out of this? You know, I'll give it to you, Desmond, with the Cowboys. Um as your NFC East rival, do you take them seriously after this game? The Cowboys are a team that I always take seriously, even if they're the worst team in the league, because I, under every circumstance, want them to lose every single game. And seeing them right now is actually kind of exciting for me as an Eagles fan. And I'm going to tell you this why. Because when you hate someone, you don't want to just beat them when they're terrible. You want to beat them when they're great. And I think that the Cowboys have a a mostly a great team right now. So, yeah, it's fun when the Eagles beat the Cowboys down when they're having a bad year, when they're going like six and ten. But 
beating down the Cowboys when they're four and one sounds like a much better thing to me. Like I, that, I can't wait to see that. The Dallas Cowboys have a great defense. Like everyone's been talking about it. Micah Parsons, Penn State guy. You know, like I hate the fact that he went to the Cowboys the same way I hate the fact that Saquon Barkley went to the Giants. You know, mm-hmm. these things kind of keep me up at night. But what are you going to do? Um, you know, but at the end of the day, I, I think that the Dallas defense is for real. But I do think that offense is severely limited. You know, everyone's talking about how Cooper Rush is undefeated as a starter. So, Yo, on and so people forth, really like to, to let's be real. They really like to dick ride him. They think. Yeah. Yeah. But when you when you break down these games, when you look at how this is actually going, Dallas flipped their philosophy, went from like passing heavy to now running heavy. They're running like 60 percent of the time and their offensive line has been great for years. So that's like a, that's a given. But as far as the passing game is concerned, Cooper Rush isn't really that great. I mean, he's just not making mistakes, which is all you want from your backup quarterback. So, I mean, I don't think that they're this Goliath. I think that they've had a decent schedule and I think that they're playing great defense, but they're very beatable. And I think they were fortunate to be playing a home game in Los Angeles against a Rams yeah. team who can't figure out how to play offense besides throw to Cooper Cup. The Rams look clearly pathetic right now. And so, I mean, yeah. like Alan Robinson bus. Yeah, that that's that was a bad pick. Yeah. But I mean, the Cowboys scored 22 points in one. I mean, it's it's not an overwhelming performance. I think that says a lot about the Rams as much as it does about the Cowboys in that in that game. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think that, you know, Cooper Rush is just doing all that you can ask for a backup. Um, he's not making mistakes. He's managing the game, so on and so forth. Um, I like the fact that they had a nice bounce back game in combination tandem with uh, with Pollard and Elliott. They combined for a buck 64 and a touchdown. Um, they didn't really turn the ball over too much as an offense in general. But, I mean, there's a lot. There's just there's so much, you know, to be desired with this Rams team. And I said from the outset that they were going to have the, ha- you know, the hangover even after winning the Super Bowl because they are trying to manage through a lot of injuries. You know, Stafford has a nagging shoulder and, and a shag, you know, and uh, this and that. And um, they're trying to integrate, you know, some weapons with Allen Robinson, which hasn't worked so far at all. K-Makers has been banged up and they lost Von Miller in the offseason. So, they're definitely working through some um, adjustments with that roster. And I think that it's going to continue to be a little bit difficult sledding with them, but I, I, I've just been so overwhelming and I hate saying this overwhelmingly impressed with this Dallas defense. I did not know how good this team would be um, just from a turnover standpoint and keeping teams at a certain, you know, at a certain offensive output. I think that they shut down the Rams despite what we think for their, their, their misgivings, but um, to keep a team like that to 10 points is really so, saying something. And I think that, uh, you know, last year I put a lot of it on just kind of being able to generate turnovers, like with 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 the kind of year that Trayvon Diggs had. But if you look at their front four and you look at how stout their pass rush is, it looks like they're really coming together um, and clicking on 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 all elements with this defense. And I think that if you continue to lean on the run game until the wheels fall off, um, they're going to be, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. I hate saying it. Now it doesn't mean that they can beat the best teams in the league, but I think with their schedule being as um, a less than desirable um, for, for opponents, I think that they will, they will continue to keep their run going. The NFC East teams, and this is actually also why as an Eagles fan, while I'm excited about our five and zero start, I'm not blowing the horn saying that we're the best team in the league because I just don't think that it's true. Um, 
Mm-hmm. NFC East teams have a very easy schedule this year, playing the NFC North and playing the AFC South. We have very easy schedules. Um, and I think that's going to allow all three of these teams, the Eagles, the Giants, and the Cowboys, just to rack up wins this year. Um, so with that being schedule. said, you know, I'm looking at the Cowboys right now. They gave up 19 points against the Buccaneers in week one. That was the most points they've given up this year. 19. That was the most points they've given up this year. Yeah, go. the defense is for real. So, I mean, yeah. like, at the end of the day, if you want to beat the Cowboys, you're going to have to come correct. Their pass rush is ridiculous, so you got to catch them in screens, quick passes. You're going to have to have a mobile quarterback. I think the Eagles got that. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that – I think Dallas is going to be in the conversation for the whole year. The Rams have no offensive line, and for people who – are kind of like casual football fans. You never want to talk about the offensive line because there's nothing sexy about it, but you need to have a dominant offensive line to be a good NFL team. And the Rams look terrible on the offensive line. Their running back acres is coming off an Achilles injury. He's looking to even be on the field and Henderson, the other guy, he's okay, but it's obvious he's a number two or number three running back. And then you're asking basically Stafford who was said to be injured all seat, like all off season to come in and just throw to receivers like Skoranek who can't get open. Really? Allen Robinson can't get open. I mean, this Rams team is going to have a rough year. Like, I don't think, I don't think it's a fluke. I don't think it's like a one or two game thing. I think it's a full season thing with them. Yeah. I totally for McVeigh. What? I said real test for McVeigh. We'll see sure. if the, he can now be a whole, you know, people have said McVeigh's an overrated coach with his deep rosters um, in the past. And now that he still has a team that looks really good on paper, but it's, it's really not clicking, especially losing Andre, um, Andre losing Whitworth um, has been as he's clearly very missed. Yeah. And you still got you still got the Rams. I mean, you still got the Niners coming back to town in two weeks and you still got to go to Tampa. You got Arizona, which is still not an easy game. And then you got to go to Kansas City in five weeks. So there's a lot of tough games still on the schedule to be played. And, um, you know, we'll see. Just two two more games to go. The Eagles. Now we can focus on your Eagles, Desmond, (laughs) Uh, playing at four o'clock on Sunday. They kept it. It was a close game against Arizona. Always is. Um, but Jalen Hurts uses his legs. He's still able to have 239 yards going 26 to 36. And, um, you know, shouts to your kicker, Cameron Dicker, who keeps the game alive and uh, ultimately keeps them in a undefeated season. Uh, Arizona made a push. And Mandola has a bad missed kick in the fourth quarter. But ultimately, yeah. you hold on and the Eagles stay undefeated. Now, you were making some of your points uh, earlier with that, that you feel that Eagles, though undefeated, you don't feel they're the best team yet. What no. do you think they can do, especially um, looking at this game this past week, where you can feel more comfortable and you feel that they can be that best team in the NFC? Honestly, with the Eagles – it's two it's it's two things one i don't think we faced great opponents yet so we're not really sure what we're capable of but two i think that this team just needs more time to gel i mean aj brown is still just like in his fifth game on the eagles um you know we've put in new offensive sets this year for jalen hurts 
And I think that he's still progressing, becoming the the quarterback that he's going to end up being, you know, going forward. Cause like, I mean, he looks a lot better than he did last year, but you know, all things considered, he made an emphasis to throw more from in the pocket this year when last year he really struggled from there and tried to avoid it. And I'm seeing him now when in times in the past where he would have like just relied on his legs and just ran, he's still like getting out of the pocket, but still looking downfield, still looking to throw the ball. I think that our defense got a major upgrade this year. Um, getting that that's that safety, I think it was a Gardner Webb or uh Gardner Johnson, uh, safety from the from the Saints that we picked up, and also getting Hassan Reddick. I, I think that the Eagles are in a really strong place, but what I would like to see is more of um more of a killer instinct. Like we've had, we've been blowing out teams in the first half and we've been letting teams come back in the second half. We've done it like four times now. And it's just telling me that this team just hasn't quite figured out some continuity yet. So like, obviously the talent's there, but they haven't figured out how exactly to put teams away. That, that kind of worries me a little bit. Um, so I think we got some good tests coming up on the schedule. I think, you know, some tough defenses ahead of us. I think the Texans have a good defense. Uh, Cowboys have a good defense. Packers have a good defense. Titans have a good defense. So, I mean, we're going to have some good tests throughout the year and also playing the Giants towards the end of the year twice. Uh, Giants are the final game of the season, so that'll be interesting. But, um, yeah, I, I just don't think that we're as cohesive as we need to be to go to the Super Bowl. You know, at the beginning of the year, I didn't think we were going to the Super Bowl. So the fact that the, we're now transitioning to talking about it is a big deal for me, but we're just not quite there yet, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think it's a fair, fair, you know, sobering assessment, especially for someone who's a fan. I think, but but you got to recognize too. I think like the throne of the NFC right now is something that is going to be ultimately backed into. I think because a lot of these other teams have major gaping flaws in the NFC, and I think that that crown is wide open by virtue of whoever can kind of get to the top first, um, even if they don't have the kind of that killer instinct you're talking about with Philadelphia. But I still yeah. think they're easily far and away the best team in the NFC and they have the least amount of holes. Um, and, and I think like going into this game, like I had a few, I had a few questions still concerning, you know, with, with Hertz and how good this passing game can be, you know, because we know that they're a run first dominant team, but yeah. um, Goddard and Devontae combined for 18 for 192, 182. And they looked unbelievable all game. Um, they reduced their, their turnovers. They dominated time of possession and, there's a lot of great things to lean on, um, especially if you want to, you know, start putting teams away earlier. Um, you have that combination of just running it down people's throats and not turning the ball over and then having the ability to have play action in the game um, with Sirianni's offense. I think that this team is is just destined for the top. I, I, I really do. I, I am more encouraged week to week watching how their passing game has evolved. And obviously they'll have some setbacks here and there, but um, I I don't really see a flaw with this team. Yeah. It's, I I don't really see too many flaws myself. I just think there's just um, there's things that's got to be just like gelled together, you know, like teams in the NFL this year with reducing OTAs, reducing the preseason, so on and so forth. Like teams have less time together than they used to. And so I think what I really want to see over the course of this season is if the Eagles can kind of just sure up some of those mistakes, kind of like find ways to play in situational moments better. Cause I still think we are kind of shaky on third down sometimes, or like those short conversions or being in the red zone. So, I mean, like there's still some things to improve on there and defensively, 
I would love to see us get a little more pressure on the quarterback. I mean, I think we have a good defensive line, but it just hasn't looked spectacular as of it doesn't look like Dallas's, you know. Yeah. So I would love to see the defensive line step it up a little bit. I think situational football for Sirianni, especially being a second year coach, it's like you, you want him to kind of take that next step eventually to get some kind of reassurances from the leadership role. But um and particularly when I look at that major crucial sack in the third quarter. Um, against Arizona, it backed up Philly, taking them out of field goal range. And that's an example, like you said, of situational football where if they kind of tighten the screws up and kind of get in Hurts' ear and kind of get him to throw the ball away preemptively a little better, um, having that foresight will make him a better quarterback and it'll get them a maximal uh, production on all these um, possessions that they carry. Yeah, just quick note on on Arizona. I think – I don't know what the beef is between Murray and and Cliff Kingsbury, but damn, they got to figure They got to figure that out because I think Arizona has got a lot of talent. It's just, it just feels like they're just really undisciplined. You also have Deandre Hopkins coming back. Right. We'll we'll still see. We'll still see if he has something left in the tank. I think this is going to be his last week suspended and he'll be back next week. Yeah. Um, But if he's Deandre Hopkins, well, there you go. Right. (laughs) Enough said. yeah. And you know what? He's such a catalyst because I'm not saying that he's more important or more vital to this team than Kyler, but he definitely changes the dynamic of how they operate this offense because it feels a little a little stale, a little stagnant, a little predictable. Um, and yeah. they really can't move the ball. Run, you know, they can't run the ball, that's for sure. So I think that when he comes back, it may open things up where they can um, start running a little more RPOs with the, with the run game and kind of open things up for Connor. <laughs> You know, if we ever get to a point in the season where you want to do like a top five or top 10 wide receiver list, I think DeAndre is still top five personally. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just hope he's not rusty. And um, that's why I took the risk drafting him in fantasy because you never know what he can bring. So I just drafted Odell Beckham out of the free agent wire because I think he's going to get picked up soon. Hey, let's keep it going there. Final <laughs> matchup to discuss. The Bengals and Ravens on Sunday night. Play a real a real thriller. Uh, Ravens with blood force football. Take it. Justin Tucker continuing to prove why he's the best kicker in the league. And uh, Bengals are two and three now. So um, what's more apparent here to talk about the Ravens winning another one? Um, they're three and two, but I do think uh, the record shows that they're a better team. Or the Bengals at two and three, again, suffer from that um, Super Bowl hangover and clearly having problems with the offensive line. And uh, T. Higgins not showing up whatsoever is bad. And uh, Jamar Chase is, it wasn't as impressive as he usually is either. But, again, that just shows this very good Ravens defensive team that should be uh, accounted for. Yeah, Matt, no, you hit on it right there. I thought that this – the biggest takeaway from this game was just the Baltimore's ability on defense. Uh, mm-hmm. They had a huge third and fourth and goal stop uh, by Marcus Peters. I think he showed, yeah, he showed up late in the game. It was tremendous. Um, but and, and they got three sacks on Burrow, which shows that they can still get home with the pressure that they do have. Um, yeah, I mean, Justin Tucker was unbelievable because he's he's the best kicker in football. Um, and Mark Andrews also had a tremendous bounce back game being silent the past two weeks with his production. But, you know, again, the, the one looming question with this contract with Lamar is like you had a wide open fourth down bomb to open up this game and he just blatantly missed him and I uh, missed his receiver. And, and I hate, you know, 
you know, um, uh, you know, resorting a game to one one game uh, one play. But looking back, like while Baltimore won that game, um, there's a lot to be desired with uh, Lamar and um, you know how how they're going to resolve this passing game because I still think that there's so much left that they 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 could really um, take to the next level if they want to make a deep playoff run. I'm going to I'm going to spend less time talking about the Ravens here. I'm more talking about talk about the Bengals, I think. Just really quick on the Ravens. I think that the Ravens are not doing enough as an organization to surround Lamar Jackson with better like better assets. Mark Andrews is like either the second or third best tight end in the league in my opinion. But the running back situation has been shaky. A lot of injuries going on in the backfield. Um and the receiving core has never been great. In fact, besides tough. like one year that Steve Smith was there, like at the end of his career, I can't think of a good Ravens wide receiver ever, like ever. Like the entire time yeah. that I've watched Ravens, like the Ravens being in existence over this over this entire century. That's since like and, Anquan Brown. That's a long time. Anquan Bolden. Anquan Bolden. Anquan, yeah. Sorry, Anquan Bolden. Yeah. But, but even he ago. was like like the back half of his career after leaving Arizona. <laughs> But like it just like I just do not see the Ravens fully investing into a person that they're about to give a two hundred million dollar contract to. Like if you know you're going to invest in this quarterback, get him some damn receivers. But I'm just going to move on from that. The Ravens also have issues on defense, which looked a lot better this you know like last night or on Sunday night. Uh, so you know like hopefully they'll be able to string some good things together. But for the Bengals. Everyone knows what the Super Bowl hangover curse, you know, like the team loses the Super Bowl, ends up being terrible the next year. I'm looking at their schedule right now. Their next six games are all teams that they can and probably should beat. Like they should go on a six game winning streak. They're facing the Saints, Falcons, Browns, Panthers, Steelers, and Titans. Now you could make arguments that they could lose some of those games, but I think they're good enough to where they should win all six of them. So I think we're about to find out very quickly what kind of season the Bengals are about to have, especially this upcoming week. If you lose at the Saints and go two and four, like I, I there's a lot of be a lot of questions going to be asked of the coaching staff, honestly, because there's too much talent on this Bengals team. Yes, their offensive line isn't protecting Joe Burrow enough, but Damn, like if your offensive line is that suspect, the head coach has to be able to step in and game plan around that. Yeah. Quicker passes, screens, draws. I mean, just do something to like to get around that that problem. I mean, defensively, they're not giving up that many points. I mean, when I'm looking at it here, they gave up 23, 17, 12, 15, and 17. That is, those are good numbers. The Bengals have a solid defense. This really comes down to coaching and the offensive line. I think if the Bengals don't turn it around soon, I'm considering maybe moving on from that head coach because, you know, truthfully mm-hmm. speaking, this is the NFL and it might not be fair, but you got too much talent on that team for them to be underperforming like this. Remember under this coach too, that people really wanted him to get out until this previous Super Bowl year. And if we're going back backwards with this, you might make a great point there, Desmond and, um, for what Zach Taylor can bring to this team. And uh, he's clearly knows what it's like to be on the top without, you know, just being so close to a Super Bowl and then also um, being on the hot seat. And I think uh, that's very telling and a good point there. 
Can I, real quick, before we get off this topic, I want to push back a little bit, Desmond, on what you said about um, the uh, the Ravens not being able to equip Lamar with the with the uh, the weapons. Yeah, with the requisite weapons. Let yeah. me, let me let me let me just push back because I do agree with that sentiment that when you look at the assessment of of the four years they've had him, they have not been able to successfully put enough pieces around him in the passing game to yeah. designate that. And obviously they they were they were destroyed with injuries with their running back uh, core last year. But can you make an argument in defense of Lamar in giving him two hundred million dollars if you're not going to be a pass first offense? Because that's my concern is that you can pay him that money, but just know that you're not going to have a pass first offense. You're going to be a run first offense. I think there are so many talented wide receivers in this day and age coming out of college that the correct front office can scout the right players and the correct coaching staff can put them in the right like position. So I lay this at the front office on that respect. And to your other question about should you invest that much money? You kind of have to. This league is predicated on do you have a quarterback or not? Being able yeah, to win without a quarterback, quarterback is extremely rare. It's not that simple. And I, I don't even know like how you could think to yourself like, yeah, we can be competitive without a top tier quarterback. And Lamar has proven that he's a top tier quarterback. The only issue that I have with Lamar's game, I mean, you want him to be a better passer. And I think he has been year over year, but he does not, he takes too many hits like unnecessarily. Like sometimes you're in the pocket, pocket collapses, you get hit. That's not on you. But I mean, like as you're scrambling, he needs to get better about sliding the way that like Mahomes does the way That's that like why. Russell Wilson can do. Like he needs to do that. Like I don't, like if you had to send to Baltimore Orioles camp, and have him just play baseball for a month. Like, well, that's do what you got to do. RG, that's why they brought RG3 in, because they wanted to reiterate and stress that factor last year when yeah. they were up to get him a contract. And I think that that is a tremendous uh, liability to the organization that if he can't do that or he has difficulty with his, his passing ability, it's really hard to rationalize a contract that large. But the only thing I would say to – wrap this up with a fine bow is that I think that the easy way out, um, the easy off ramp for the, the Ravens as an organization, because I have a lot of respect for Ozzie Newsom in that front office is yeah. that you could give him up to two years worth of franchise tags back to back to assess the situation, because I could easily make an argument just in the counter that he has not been able to live up and, and make the developments in the passing game that I would like to see as my starting franchise quarterback. I got to say, I don't see a problem with what you're saying, but I, on the franchise tag point, that is like one of the grossest things in any sports. Oh yeah. I I, I truly believe that the fact that the NFL allows, well, the fact that the players association has allowed there to be a continuation of the franchise tag is just, of course, but but you can use in multiple years. Look how it worked out for Dallas because they gave him the contract and I'm sure they're regretting it every single day with the continuous injuries and the poor play that he's been giving them. Listen, I mean, the the quarterback situation has been dreadful since Aikman left Dallas, and I'm very happy about it. (laughs) (laughs) Just speak it with your heart. (laughs) Yo, let's do our upsets, whimpers, and thrillers. First time with Desmond, as we said, picking three games off the schedule. And you pick from there. What First, the adjective. Who do you think will be an upset? Who do you think will be a thriller? 
who you think will be a whimper, and then you make your prediction off that. We'll start with Alex this week with that. Alex, tell me, who do you see being an upset this week? Ooh, good one, good one. Upset, I got Seattle going into Arizona, winning on the road. Um, I think that Seattle in Seattle more resiliency with this offense than uh, that we kind of talked about earlier. And I think that Arizona is a little bit of turmoil on the heels of a very debilitating loss. Um, I think they're at a crossroads where they're going to shake things up in that organization. And I think for Seattle, um, they're playing with house money. They're going in loosey goosey. Um, We know that that defense has had some issues in in weeks past. Um, I think that Seattle goes in and wins that one. Yeah, right there. And uh, Seattle is the uh, three-point underdogs with this. Okay, I'll hear that. For mine, and it's going to be a stretch, but um, we'll, we'll, I'll take the uh, fan bias on this one. I think the Giants at, at plus five and a half can defeat the Baltimore Ravens. And the reason okay. why, I think one, game's at home. I think that is a huge advantage for the Giants, the rowdy crowd. I think with those concerns about um, I really think with the momentum going in, especially with the run game, the Giants have been improving on with Saquon specifically. And the fact that I think these um, I think that it's possible to get these weapons open. I think the Giants can uh, continue their magic run. Now it's going to be a stretch. I understand that. I want to be surprised if I'm wrong. But I'm just going with pure heart and faith in this one that they're going to pull off a close upset and defeat Baltimore. Desmond, tell me, what do you think is going to be the upset this week on your end? I had one picked out, but now I'm seeing another one that I can't ignore, and I'm really confused what to do. If you want to give both real quick, um, you can do that too. All right. Your heart desires. My gut, this is just gut. I can't go into the into the reasonings why for you here, but I think I think the Steelers have a real chance of beating the Buccaneers. Really, at uh, plus eight eight even. Yeah, I just I feel like Tomlin is a little too proud to get to get beat down like that, and I think that I think the Bucks are, have a shaky offense. I think they've proven that week over week. Brady is struggling. Their offensive line is struggling. They're just not that great right now. I, I think that the Steelers do have a good defense. I think they do have a good running back. They do have good receivers. It really is a quarterback issue for their whole team. It wouldn't in the games in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has a great crowd. I, I think that Pittsburgh could pull an upset. Not that they will, but I, I like their chances. I'm also seeing this just right now. The Niners have a five, five and a half point advantage over the Falcons, but it's in Atlanta. I don't know if you've ever seen this stat or not, but the stat where the West Coast team comes east for the 11 o'clock for, for yeah, the one o'clock that. start game. They had that three hour, like, you know, body clock difference. The West Coast teams win like 20% of the time. <laughs> and I, I think the Falcons offense science on this. one. I think the Falcons offense is legit. I know that they, they ran into the Bucks defense last week in Tampa. So like they didn't look that great, but the Falcons have been looking great uh, offensively. I think the 49ers struggle offensively. I like the Falcons' chances in that game. I really do. All right. Good stuff. Now let's talk about our whimpers. Alex, what games are going to suck this week? <laughs> uh, the one you're picking to suck this week. Um, Jacksonville in, at Indianapolis is going to be a turd. I, I, I have no intention of watching that game. Um, it's going to be like Stevie Wonder and Helen Keller throwing bombs down the field. Uh, I'm all oh. set. 
Okay, okay. <laughs> with um, Indy as a two-point favorite there. All right, for my whimper this week. Sorry, my uh, note absolutely quickly decided to run right. Okay. I'm going to go with... Um, <laughs> I mean, this is just Take hilarious the easy one. to me. Take the easy one. Well, I know the easy one is the Bears and Commanders, yeah, where the yeah. line is actually even, which is extremely rare. I mean, it's so bad that not even Vegas just gave up. So I'll let you go take that one. But I was actually going to pick the Broncos and Chargers, and the oh. Bro- Chargers are five point favorites there. As you said, Chargers are very injury written. Um, the Broncos are just literally turning one of the biggest jokes around the entire country. I think Russell Wilson, even with this injury, injury laden chargers team will not take advantage of it. And we're just going to see some messy football. So toss it off to you, Desmond. What do you think is going to be the whimper? I mean, picking the commanders and bears feels too easy. You know, like everyone, everyone knows it. Let me give you actually, give us another one. I think it's going to stink. Panthers and the Rams. I think yeah, that a really Pan- Panthers with a brand new quarterback having to travel across the country to Los Angeles, I think their offense is going to be inept. Um, the Rams, for all their issues on offense, do have a good defense and vice versa. The Rams still suck on offense and the Panthers have a good defense. And it wouldn't surprise me if you find out that there's more Panthers fans in the crowd than there are Rams fans, because that's just, that'll be, that's day. Los Angeles for you. You know, great sports town. Um, so yeah, I think that game could be a dud. Boy, and, and 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 the Rams are favored by ten and a half, and that just shows. Like, <laughs> I mean, we'll be so we'll see. We'll, we'll see. That's a good pick. That's a good pick. So I see a lot of thrillers on the schedule. I really think there are some very interesting matchups coming into it. So kick it off, Mr. Renelio. Where do you see the um, thriller coming in your sense? I'm going to take the easiest one. I'm sorry. Uh, Dallas Philly Sunday night is going to be a great game. Uh, I'm super excited to get a litmus test of where this division's at and how good Philadelphia is as well as Dallas. So um, I'm I'm really excited for this game. I think for me, I'm going to actually go with the Jets and Green Bay in a team where two franchises have so many question marks. No one really knows what these two teams are made of. And on this, a crucial week six for the entire season. I think after the Packers had such a bitter taste in the mouth, losing to a Giants team like this, and I believe the line was around six to eight points, which which is, again, shows how, how much expectations were coming into this Packers team. And now that they have a Jets team who historically have been a team where if you need to get a win, where if you need to get momentum back, you play the Jets. But on the contrary, with the Jets having so much momentum with their two win, with their two with their two game winning streak, it's going to be an interesting matchup of two teams that really need wins. And I think you'll get a lot of great football out of it in Lambeau Field. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yes, and um, the spread is a seven points even for Green Bay, so it, it is pretty steady for the Jets. But um, I do think the game might be a little closer than that. So maybe even. Uh, take the Jets if you want to take the underdog if they keep it close uh, for the spread. Um, well, I guess since you guys left it for me, I'll just take it. Um, Bills, Chiefs. 
<laughs> in what should be the Sunday. I mean, like I wish that the Eagles Cowboys was the Monday night game and the Bills yeah, Chiefs right? was, was the Sunday night game. Like that's really to flex. That's how I would have. Or, yeah. I mean, but having the Broncos in primetime again is a joke. Yeah. The Bills Chiefs is going to be a great game. The fact that it's not a primetime game is a, is a travesty. Um, I expect the Bills to win this game, but I also expect it to be competitive. I don't think the Chiefs get blown out here. Um, I'm thinking somewhere along the lines of like, you know, like 34, 30, somewhere in that area. I think it's going to be, I think Mahomes will put up points because the Bills have a better defense, but their secondary shot right now, Micah Hyde being out for the year, got issues at corners being out. Um, Yeah. I expect a high-scoring back-and-forth game similar to what they did in the playoffs last year. Definitely. I definitely hear you on that. All right, gentlemen. Pleasure. Real, real pleasure. So much having. We had a lot of fun having you on, Desmond. I'm excited to have you around for the rest of the season, as I'm sure Alex does. And Brian, when he comes back, Thank you, Alex, for bringing the funk as per usual. And we have a really, really intriguing week six of stellar matchups all across the board. Can't wait to talk about it next week. Don't forget to check out Desmond Price as well as the independent thought on his podcast. Check out Alex Renelli with the Going Places, Go With Going Places, and also his amazing work. And um, again, if you guys have anything else to plug, tell us what's good that I haven't said already. Oh, nothing to plug, but I have a I have a ideas for future episodes. Maybe I'll tell you about after we after we hit the, the end button on this one. Well, looking forward to it. I know this audience is too. All right, beautiful. So. I got um yeah, I got I got uh, art show coming down at the Lockwood Match Matthews Mansion Museum in Norwalk, Connecticut, Wait. and I have a solo show at New England Brewing Company down in Stafford as well. So. All right. Yeah, definitely. Let me know that uh, Lockwood Mansion show. Um, All right, gentlemen, I'll see you next week. Peace out. Thank you, guys. All right. It's a good conversation and productive conversation. Great debut, Desmond Price, when it comes to NFL Productive Conversations. Awesome job, my friend. And Alex Ranelio, great job from you as well. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Productive Conversations podcast on all podcasts and platforms and YouTube. Don't forget to check out exclusive content regarding this show on ProductiveConversationsPodcast.com. And don't forget to check us out in the world of social media. We're on Instagram at Productive Conversations Podcast, Twitter at ProdcomboPod. We're on TikTok at Productive Conversations. We'll be back next week focusing on the MLB playoffs so we'll bring Leo and Alex with that and see how the division series runs and I just want to say for my New York Yankees stellar absolutely stellar game one victory over the Guardians Garrett Cole did what he had to do the bullpen held their own clutch hits from the lineup including a huge two-on home run from Anthony Rizzo and we started the postseason as well as it could be so hopefully the Yankees continue it the Astros are making a push to get to the ALCS as well with a big comeback against Seattle there was an impressive win regarding the Phillies over the Braves in game one defeating the Braves at home so props to them and um, I'm recording this at 11:30 on the east coast 
and um, 11.30 at night, I should say. And the Dodgers and Padres game is not over yet. But, um, you know, watch out for the Padres maybe. But um, a lot of people really feel good about them. I know I felt that the Dodgers are going to roll through them. But who knows what's going to happen? Who knows? That's why we love October baseball, don't we? So, yes, baseball and football once again next week. And before you know it, we'll continue with some more productive conversations with other interesting folks across a wide range of topics in a wide range of people in this world. So it's going to be good. So with that, I hope everybody has a great rest of the week. Thank you to Alex Ranelio and Desmond Price for what they did contributing to the show. Thank you to Alex Ranelio for what he does on the post-production side. And thank you, the greatest fans and listeners in the world, for making this possible, helping grow this brand, and being a part of the great, great community known as The Productive Nation. My name is Matt Brown. I am the host of the Productive Conversations podcast. Don't forget to check in on your friends and family. And I'll be seeing you all very, very soon. All right. Love you all. Peace.